What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Are you thinking about starting a podcast but don't know where to start? Let me take a second to tell you about Anchor by Spotify. It's the easiest way to make a podcast with everything you need all one place. Anchor has tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. When hosting on Anchor, you can distribute your podcast across a plethora of listening platforms such as Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, all the big ones. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one place. And best of all, completely free. If you're thinking about starting a podcast, do yourself a favor and check out anchor.fm or download the app to get started. Hello friends, welcome to a podcast where you can speak your truth and Loco will listen. My name is Jake Loco. Thank you for being here at the Loco Listens podcast. Stay tuned for a great episode and please feel free to stick around for the outro at the end where I will give you my thoughts and reflections on this fantastic discussion. Enjoy and thank you again for being with us. All right, my friends, thank you for being here. I would like to introduce my new friend, Shane Jones, who is the host of the Inquiries of Our Reality podcast. We're uh, both new podcasters. We connected through mutual friends and this awesome network, and I'm really happy to sit down with him today. We are going to dive into Dante's Inferno and pull out some symbolism, do a deep dive into this allegorical tale. Uh, but first, Shane, welcome. How are you doing today, man? Good. How are you doing today, man? Excellent. Excellent. I'm glad we got to arrange this. And I'm really happy that you decided to dive into Dante with me. So it'll be fun to share our two unique perspectives on this amazing epic poem. But to start, I have a question I ask every guest. So for you, Shane, this question is, 
when did you start to speak your truth? Well, it was a it was a process, I'd say, because uh, I used to kind of, you know, just like anybody, I go on like rants about things that I believed in, different things like that. They call it the Shane rants. It kind of became a joke amongst my friends that I'd get going on a topic and just blow up, blow up <laughs> on it. So eventually I figured that there's some people at my work that used to used to love listening to it. So I was like, eh, maybe, maybe I should become a podcaster. I've been listening to these guys forever, hear what they're doing. And I feel like I could be similar to it. And there's just this matter of being persuasive with your words that a lot of us podcasters have. So, you know, I figured even if it's just one person listening, if I could help somebody or change their perspective, all of it's worth it. And in the end, at least I have a chronicle of my thoughts and ideas for my kids in the future. Cause you know, our generation doesn't have that kind of stuff with their parents. So at least they can see not just my writing, because I am a poet too, which should be is another reason why I like tearing apart mm. this uh, Dante's Inferno. But um, just leave, leave something for my kids, you know, so they can understand my thoughts and processes and know what kind of person I was back when I was, you know, 20, 28 years old. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Yeah, I mean, years and years later, you're going to have uh, these archives that, you know, your, your kids are going to get a very unique look at who you are and what your thought process has been throughout these strange, strange times. And once again, man, I'm glad you decided to get started. It's really nice to connect with a new podcaster. And I've loved your episode so far. I've listened to you speak with Juan from the, the Juan on Juan podcast. Shout out to you, Juan. And also uh, Mark from My Family Thinks I'm Crazy. Two awesome shows, and there's a really cool community here. And by the way, we uh, unexpectedly met last night on the Talk of the Tavern uh, so shout out to Ghost on the My Third Eye podcast for hosting that and for Joe, Jen, and Ben from Legit Bat Podcast who kind of brought us into this community. Everyone has been really kind and encouraging and it's very inspirational to see this community support each other. Um, so what did you think about the meetup last night and what kinds of things do you notice about this community that we find ourselves in? Honestly, I got pulled in last night by uh, Joe from Legit Bet. He ended up messaging me on Instagram, and we've been going back and forth for a couple of days. He's he's a really cool guy in this community. He's a he's a character, but in a good way, and I appreciate that about him. Like he says the funniest phrases and stuff. So, you know, I figured I'd hop on last night just to be able to to meet everybody. And it seems like there's two sides of this community which I enjoy. There's like the the funny side where they just talk shit and just have fun. <laughs> Yep. And then there's like the serious side where they do research, which I'd say Juan's kind of, he kind of bounces back and forth, but I feel like he's more on like the serious research side. But then you got like Joe, Joe and you know, all the people from legit bat and they're just, just a bunch of clowns, but they talk about conspiracies. So it's kind of cool to see that it's all one community, but there's like multiple groups within the community. But unlike other communities, it's like all of these groups get along, you know, where a lot of the time. Like there's a lot of people that'll be into like metal, for example, or into hip hop, but there's like subgroups within that that don't like each other. So it's cool that podcasting is just kind of an overall community, especially this one, because this is the open minded community. So we can all hear each other's thoughts and ideas and not judge each other for it. And that's something that the world needs nowadays, for sure. Well said. Well said. Yeah. So many of these great podcasters are doing a great blend of that comic relief the kind of silliness like on legit bat they have a great soundboard a lot of fart noises that i definitely enjoy but they also are able to dive deep and to pull out these uh real real truths that um stick out to me for sure and so it's nice to be a part of it and what i do want to ask you is you've got a new logo so if anyone's seeing the video you've got a couple cool symbols back here and shout out to the artist that helped you put that together. But I was curious if you wanted to talk about some of the things 
Uh, so your podcast is called Inquiries into Our Reality. And when you think about your title and you think about some of the symbols behind you, um, like I, I see a Milky Way galaxy, a brain, a reptilian with a shirt and tie on. It's a lot of interesting symbology there. Uh, what would you like to let people know uh, about your show and some of the symbols that represent what inquiries into our reality means to you? Uh, I guess I'll explain my symbol and in a way that kind of explains the story of, of the idea of my show. Um, I guess it's just, as it said, inquiries of our reality. So it's just trying to figure out what's going on with our reality, essentially. So my symbol here, because it's a matter of me and a guest having a conversation about whatever topic. So we got the two brains clashing together here. And in the process of that, it's sparking all of these different ideas. So, you know, you got the galaxy when you go into uh, any type of like interdimensional type thoughts. You got the Anunnaki, of course, because you have to make a reference to them because almost every religion pops up with them mm-hmm. redacted documents because we definitely cover redacted things on the show spirituality of course so we got you know the chakra chakra guy right mm-hmm. here uh we got skinwalkers of course because definitely we like to get into cryptids uh we talk oh, yeah. about psychedelics so i got the little dmt entity right here uh also mushrooms of course because it's one of my personal favorite things to talk about is psychedelics and the whole realm of what could be going on in your head with psychedelics and then of course i got the ufo I did just the UFO on purpose instead of an actual alien because I feel like the alien idea is kind of back and forth where it's kind of like, could they be from another place? Could they be from a different dimension? So I kind of just tried to leave it vague like the subject. But as far as my show goes, inquiries of our reality. So just trying to figure out any questions about our reality. It's not any particular thing. Like you're, you'll find a very wide range of topics on the show. Um, Because it specifically was intended for me to be able to ask all the weird questions that I've been wanting to ask after listening to philosophers, uh, authors, other podcasters, researchers. So a little taste of everything for everybody. Awesome, man. Yeah, it's a great variety. You have so many cool topics that we can dive into, so many cool interests. And today we're going to share a bit about one of our common interests, which is literature. And we've got Dante's Inferno, which is part of the three part epic the divine comedy and before we get into that i just wanted to ask you what is your personal relationship with this epic poem and when we decided to have this conversation what kinds of overall big topics or themes did you think of or are you thinking of that we're going to get into today what are some of those big themes that we're going to dive into well i guess different from your background so it's a different perspective is you seem to be more of like the the literature type where i am too of course but i uh I, I I read it coming from the perspective of a poet, so I uh, I feel like I can give you a little bit of a different perspective on it. As far as like why my interest was in the book, um, I don't want to say I've ever been a religious type, but I've always entertained the idea and the whole idea of uh, going through hell and coming out on top has always been a crazy interest to me. Like kind of weird. It wasn't intended to be Dante's Inferno, but uh, I used to have like hell related tattoos that I've slowly been kind of switching over to pagan tattoos. Mm. And I wrote, I came, I saw, I conquered, you know, Vinny Vici on the back of my arm. Mm. So it's like, I can personally relate because going through a lot of things with, uh, I don't want to say my dad, but my, my mom's side of the family was mm. definitely like walking through hell. So it's personally relatable to me in that aspect on top of the fact that um, I'm a big fan of a lot of like the philosophers and poets and stuff like that, that he mentions in the book. And as we get into it, I'll uh, you know talk about that that area of hell and why it's uh, that part particularly 
like sparked my interest. Awesome, man. Yeah, I can definitely relate. You know, I'm a child of a divorced family. So thinking about that whole concept, uh, like you said earlier, going through hell and back and coming out on the other side, stronger, wiser, older, a little more experienced. Uh, it's always appealed to me, this hero's journey, like that Joseph Campbell style hero's journey. And so I think Dante's Inferno does a good job of setting that up, the descent into hell, climbing up purgatory, and then finally reaching the paradise at the end of the story. So when we think about where Dante starts and who Dante is and why he decided to write this story, how would you explain it to folks who maybe aren't familiar with the story or want to learn more about what is Dante's Inferno? How would you open this up to them? I guess the best way to describe it is to kind of describe him as a person before he actually wrote the book. So he was very into the politics in Florence, and he got to a point where he started getting pushed out and eventually exiled from his city. So he wrote this book to be subliminal, to express his feelings about the politics that were happening in the city. And within that, he also wanted to... He wrote about somebody that he he loved very much, that he kind of admired from a distance because the times never lined up correctly so it has a lot of a lot of references to his to his normal life even the weirdness of when he got exiled he took off into the woods and was walking around wrote this book so it's kind of it's like kind of how the book starts as he's just wandering in the woods so it almost falls off of right where his life was when he started writing it and i feel like he did that on purpose because it's almost like that uh like you were saying the great adventure where he got exiled didn't know what to do with his life was lost and use this book to try to get himself back on track. And unfortunately, he didn't live too much longer after the book was written, but I'm glad he at least was able to write this book because here we are, you know, a couple hundred years later, still still talking about how wonderful this book is and how wonderful his poetry is because he wrote an extremely complicated rhyme scheme called Terza Rima, if I'm saying that correctly, mm-hmm. um, which is, is, is very hard to write, and I've tried to do it myself, and there's a lot of epic poets who've done it and he makes a reference in it saying that you know he wants to be one of the greats so he's going to take on his own version of the great adventure which is in the book and for him personally it was writing this epic and this rhyme scheme to just test how good he actually is as a poet you know awesome man yeah absolutely it's a very complex story is full of layers and a lot of great symbols that we're going to dive into today but it's also cool to consider that Not only did he write this very complex and allegorical tale, this epic poem, but he also layered in some cool rhymes, um, which is impressive. It's something I admire very much about Dante as a writer, that his style was both revealing the political and the spiritual turmoil that everyone goes through in a universal way. But he presented these ideas with a cool rhyme scheme that set it apart. It was very unique in in that sense. So... The other thing I want to ask you it's is... It's so complicated, yep. too, that it's like, you don't, if somebody reading it, if you didn't notice that it was a rhyme scheme, you like wouldn't notice. But that's part of what makes it so difficult to write, is that it's so spaced out as a rhyme scheme. Because mm. basically, the best way to describe it would be A-B-A, B-C-B, C-B-C, and then there's like a different end where you flip back mm. to one of the beginning letters, and then you mm. restart again. And it's like a continuous pattern, but it's it's very complicated to write in. <laughs> especially something to that extent (laughs) yeah yeah this took a lot of skill he definitely had to think carefully about every single word and it's cool you know it was written in italian originally uh as opposed to latin which would have been inaccessible to the public so it's cool that he was able to provide this 
this tale that reached so many people that was able to um, relate to so many people who were also aware of the corruption in society or the the fact that humanity has strayed from the true way, which we'll get into in, in the beginning of the story. Before we dive into the first part, I wanted to ask you, what do you think about the fact that there's three parts? So we start with the Inferno and then Purgatory and then Paradise. And I've, I've heard people say that the story is broken up into a three-part hero's journey where in the Inferno, Dante is becoming aware of what we call sin or error. And then in Purgatory, he's actively renouncing those behaviors that are holding him back. And then finally in Paradise, he's able to cleanse himself, be baptized, if you will, and then enter into a more spiritually mature state. But what do you think about this three-part process that he's going to go through, starting with the Inferno? I believe it was carefully placed because uh, it's definitely, I don't like using the word shadow work, but it's very fitting to self-progression and building yourself that you have to first be at the very lowest point to start building yourself again. Because if you've noticed a lot of people, they'll go through a hard time in their life, they'll reach rock bottom, which is essentially the going through hell, and they have to build themselves up once they realize they're it's literally just it's exactly the process of, of correcting yourself because you start off with realizing all of your errors and mistakes and sins once you reach rock bottom and then the next step is when you start trying to fix and rebuild yourself which would be going through purgatory and then once you've learned to fix and rebuild yourself that's when the heaven starts and that's when you're able to you know see your previous mistakes learn from your previous mistakes and you have this enlightened view over the hell that you've been through but you wouldn't be the same person that you are now if you didn't go through that hell. So that hell was needed to go through in order to realize your errors of your ways. Just like I was saying, you have to hit rock bottom before you can, before you can build yourself back up to the top. Yeah, man. Well said. It's definitely a necessary process. We have to face that hellscape before we can ever uh, ascend to something more aligned with paradise. So I love the way that you brought that up and let's talk a bit about what's going on in the story. We have, Dante and we have his lover who is plays a big role later in the story especially in purgatory and the paradise but let's talk about why Dante is going through hell in the first place this divine comedy is a love story the uh, primary theme is where Dante is trying to reunite with his love Beatrice and of course we were chatting earlier Beatrice might not be the way that you actually pronounce her name but I guess for now we can roll with it and Maybe later on we'll uh, be able to correct that. But I want to tell you a quick story. We're English speakers, so we'll just go with the English yeah. way of saying it. <laughs> yep, we're just our regular English speakers doing our, our best here. So so what what can you tell us about Dante's lover, Beatrice? So he had always admired this girl from afar, and the time never quite lined up. She ended up getting married to somebody else. He got married to somebody else. But he always kept this fascination with her. So if you look into his personal poetry... He always wrote about her, never once wrote about his own wife because he had this obsession with her. So I don't want to say obsession because it was, it, was, it was a love thing. It was never like a creepy admirer from afar from anything that I, I've perceived of it. But uh, of course, that would be his, his beacon of light through this story because I feel like she was his beacon of light in real life. So he wrote a lot of this book in correlation with his real life, including uh, getting exiled into the woods. And then that's honest that's where the story starts so it, it plays off of a lot of aspects of his normal life so definitely gotta gotta 
make sure that everybody knows that she was a real person and that's why he writes about her in the way he does because I feel like you wouldn't feel that sense of love in the way he writes about her without honestly feeling those emotions like it can't be faked you know yeah it's nice that there's uh some real authenticity to his story with Beatrice and how they were separated and it's interesting that he is willing to go all the way down to hell and back just to reach her again so it's like a a nice inspiring love story and I do want to add this to uh it's kind of ironic my middle name is B. My, my parents gave me that one letter B as my middle name. And it stands for Beatrice. And I had a great-grandmother Beatrice who I never met. But when I put that together when I was reading this, I was like, wow, okay, this is interesting. Like, I want to learn a, l- a little bit more about who Beatrice was. But I do want to point this out. And I'd love to hear what you think. Beatrice reminds me a little bit about Sophia in Gnosticism, the divine wisdom, divine love. And B-E-A-T, Beatrice, also kind of reminds me of this phrase, like beatific. So she's representative of something holy, absolutely beautiful. Um, What did you think about Beatrice as a symbol? Um, You know, other than the fact that historically this was Dante's crush, who he uh, was writing to try to reach out to and was almost uh, struggling his, his whole life to be with her. But what did you think about Beatrice in the story? as a symbol in and of herself. Like I said, I think she's like almost like his beacon of light that it's like um, the light at the end of the tunnel that it's hard to make it through the journey unless you see a light at the end of the tunnel. So just having her pop up the few times he does and reference it's it's his guiding light because otherwise like you wouldn't have a reason to travel through hell if there wasn't this thing that he needs to get to. You know, it's his, it's his end game and his end goal because he's doing it for, for himself, but primarily it's to get to the, to this woman so just like in real life i feel like it's a matter of having a good woman to back you up you know it's or whatever whatever you have to be into just a significant other in some way shape yeah. or form um it's needed to get through this journey of life just like it was needed to get through his journey in the story so it's symbolic of that also yeah and there's something very interesting about that whole process you know if dante were to reunite with beatrice the fact that he passes through hell and goes through all these challenges and grows and, e- and evolves from this process helps him to be to be prepared to become the best lover that he can or you know the best husband or whoever he's preparing himself to be with her by going through hell so it's kind of cool to see that this process this trial through fire is helping to build him up so that he can be ready to be his best version if you will for beatrice I'm not 100% sure I'll have to look it up, but I'm pretty sure that she did pass away in real mm-hmm. life before the story was written. Mm-hmm. I'll just have to double verify on that one because I don't want to say anything that's not completely true. So I also feel like it was his way, if that is true, which I'm pretty, I'm like 99.9% sure it's true. Mm-hmm. It was also, I feel, his way of being able to cope with that mm-hmm. because it's it's like his way of knowing that she is still on the other side kind of a thing. So yeah. That, that definitely helps him get through his hard time. And I feel like he partly wrote her into the story, hoping that this would be his afterlife and that in the end, he would end up with her on the other side. Excellent. Excellent. And that's a perfect segue to talk about the intro of the story. So it's kind of funny to joke about this because it's, uh, it's very relevant, but Dante seems like he was a victim of cancel culture. Like during that, that period, he was exiled. He was kicked out of Florence, his home city, 
And now he's wandering in the wilderness by himself. And he's cut off from Beatrice. Uh, if she had passed away at that point, he's lost everything. And so he decides to write this this book as a way to cope, as you said. But let's talk about this point that he starts at. It seems to me that he wakes up from this almost drunken stupor. Like he's been on a bender for a long time or he's been unconscious and wakes up and realizes, okay, I need to take a different direction in life he's at a very low point already and he's starting to become more aware which is the theme of this first book is building awareness of error and sin and then figuring out what to do from that point forward to progress so what did you think about the fact that Dante begins this story by waking up in the middle of the forest and knowing that he's messed up in a sense or he's in a messed up state uh, what did you think about the intro of the story in that regard? I'm pretty sure it's a transition of his real life because right before he wrote the book, he got, like I was saying, he got exiled. So what do you do when you first get kicked out of a group? You know, any but majority of people would end up in like a drunken stupor. So I think it was one of those things that he got exiled, started drinking, doing whatever, you know, happened to, they happened to do at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, realized that he can't continue living the rest of his life this way. So he wrote the book as his own self-progression to say, like, these are the things I wish I could do. Because he he purposely writes it exactly where he's at in his normal life and continues on past that. Like, there's a reason that he did that, you know. And it's a way that he expressed a lot of his anger and a lot of the things that he needed to say about his city in an indirect way. Because back then, you know, there wasn't podcasting. If you were going to talk about a serious political issue, you couldn't just say it. You had to hide it within your text, which is why, you know, here we are years later still trying to decipher the, the messages they're, they're hiding in their text because just writing used to be a lot deeper than people perceive it to be. Mm-hmm. You can read this book at face value or you can read it from 10 different perspectives. You can see the, the personal building perspective. You can see the political perspective mm-hmm. so you can understand what it was like to live in Italy back in that day. There's a lot of depth to the story and a lot of different angles you can view it on. Awesome. Yeah, that's why I've been so into it recently. And I want to bring up the fact that when Dante wakes up and he begins to move forward on his journey to reunite with Beatrice, he runs into these three animals in the beginning. So there's the wolf, or it's referred to as the she-wolf, the lion, and the leopard. And this is sort of a symbol of the three layers of hell that he'll pass through. There's nine circles total, and they're sort of split up into three different sections. Uh, So what did you think about this first initial conflict that Dante faces, like, in any hero's journey, there's going to be obstacles. And Dante's ready to start ascending that mountain up to paradise to, to see Beatrice. But his path is blocked by these three animals. So what did you make of that that first initial conflict that he has to face with these three animals? I believe it's symbolic of the whole concept that there's they block the path. So it's a learning experience for him to know that there's other ways to get to the same destination. So it's... He purposely placed it saying that I was trying to take the straight and narrow path, but there was an obstacle in my path. Hence, you know, like the people that were in the city that exiled him. So he realized that he can still get to the, his same end goal that he was trying to get to. He just needed to take a different pathway and you can't be thrown off of your journey just because of one obstacle. And he doesn't let that get in the way, just like most things in life, podcasting, whatever, like just because one little issue happens doesn't mean you give up. It means you re- repave your own path. And that was another thing he was trying to do is just make his own path for himself. 
like you said, I mean, I'm dealing with Wi-Fi issues. I'm currently in a Dunkin' Donuts because my apartment is, uh, it, the Wi-Fi is failing me. So that little setback, you know, it's part of the whole process. It's part of the fun too. It's just being creative and trying to figure out ways to move forward. But back to Dante, I like, like how in you- the story. Got to make your own path if something doesn't work. Yep. Got to make your own path. So these three animals are blocking Dante's path. And it's funny that throughout the story, Dante is teaching the audience a bit about what it, what it would mean to be sinful or to live with error. And he seems to indicate over and over again that human beings lose their sense of reason or they become irrational when they're victim to these different flaws or desires, which we'll talk about as we go into the circles. And these animals are sort of showing him that there's an animalistic side of humanity that comes about once humans lose that sense of reason or that divine spark, if you will. So what did you think about the overall nature of Dante is blocked by these animals, and yet he depends on Virgil, his guide, to overcome this obstacle. So let's let's talk about Virgil. How does Virgil play a role in the story as Dante's guide? And what should people know about who Virgil is? Going back to, I guess, his inspirations, uh, he was personally his favorite writer. He did write his own story. Um, I'm, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head right now. The Ain't It, I think. Um, but it was, yep, it was his own perspective of essentially the same kind of concept of going through the underworld. So the idea of why he picks Virgil is because, one, he's his favorite writer, so he looks up to him the most. And two, he's already been through this journey, so he can help him through it. So going back on the, the character building concept, it's one of those things that you have to make the journey in, other, in order to help others make it through the journey. Mm-hmm. So I believe that he, it was symbolic of him being that guide because he particularly wrote his book. So he's already been there, so he was able to guide him through. So it's a good concept to take for normal life that if you've already been through this hero's journey, you can help others to proceed through their journey. Mm. Well said, well said. So it's very, I personally, I, I, I feel very motivated thinking about this because the fact is that Beatrice sent Virgil to help Dante. Like Virgil was sent from above, from the heavenly realm to come down and assist Dante and to guide him and protect him through this journey. And there's a great line that Virgil is described as reviving Dante's zeal or his zealousness, his, uh, his overall state of energy. He's more energized now. He's not depressed. He was hopeless and stuck once these animals blocked his, his path. But in the, in the poem, Virgil is described as helping Dante stretch out like a flower to absorb that sunlight. So he's helping him to open up. Uh, kind of reminds me of, you know, he has to open up and face these vulnerabilities, these flaws and these errors. Uh, so what else should we say about Virgil and how he guides Dante in the beginning of the story. What else should people uh, understand about this dynamic between them? He was never, never a Christian. Um, So he has his own area in hell Um, from, we'll get into it farther in, but from my perspective, it's it's probably the only not bad place to be in hell, I guess. Mm. So he, he helps him with this journey, hoping to also help himself is the idea. Mm. So he, he, how do, how do they word it exactly? He says something along the lines of, if I, if I help enough people, maybe I can one day reach to the heavens. Mm. So it's one of those things, too, that it's symbolic of if you help others, 
in a way you're, you know, you're, you're like collecting good karma for yourself in a way, I guess you could say, um, don't make that in your intention on why you help people, but mm-hmm. it helps, helps you personally feel growth within yourself to be able to help others. So again, I feel like that, that was, he was placed for a reason to do that. And he definitely wanted to, uh, kind of show they purposely use Virgil and a lot of these philosophers as they go in because he wanted to incorporate the aspect of there's more people that exist in this world besides Christians. And he uses Virgil on purpose, I believe, too, to show that you may not be baptized, but God sees that and kind of takes into consideration that even though you may not believe in him, you may not be a sinner. So you kind of have like a place you go where you're not getting tortured. You're just kind of sitting stagnant, but it's still kind of the idea is that he uses him to show that there is a just God, even if you aren't 100 percent a believer in him, you know? Yeah, well said. And we're we're going to talk about a couple of figures who fit into that same category. They're called virtuous pagans. That would be Plato, Socrates, Hippocrates, Seneca. So we have the Stoics, we have the Greek philosophers, and they weren't necessarily Christian. Like you said, they weren't you know like men of Christ or men of God, but they still had their own special role in the story. Uh, before we get there, let's back up a little bit and talk about this first area this first group that Dante and Virgil encounter once they descend into hell, which is the opportunists who do not choose a particular side, but they tend to play on whichever side is going to benefit them most of all. And this reminds me a lot of the modern day political sphere, uh, but also it's an interesting um, setup in the story overall, because this first barrier that Dante and Virgil crosses is this river And without Virgil, Dante would not be able to pass through certain areas. So this first incident is where there's a ferryman who is going to help them cross this river so they can get through to the next area. But the ferryman refuses to take Dante. He's like, I'm not going to take an outsider. He doesn't belong here. So the fact that outsiders aren't welcome, it kind of reminds me of these stories where you hear about people who access these inner realms, whether it's like a DMT or the fungus, like they encounter these entities who are surprised to see them. And they're like, wow, you don't belong here. What are you doing here? But thanks to Virgil, Dante is given that access to that passage that he wouldn't have had on his own. So Virgil opens doors for him that he wouldn't otherwise have access to. So what did you think about this first area and the, and the fact that Virgil is helping Dante reach places that he couldn't reach by himself. What do you think about all that? Oh, uh, there, there's a couple parts I want to add to before, uh, before we get fully into that part. Um, first of all, I wanted to reference uh, the entrance to hell mm-hmm. and the fact that they make it. So it's something that's accessible through normal. Uh, how, how would you word it through? Just, just through, through like a, basically like a door in, mm-hmm. in, in the world, like a physical a door references to the gates of hell they, he purposely tries to make it sound like it's not some fantasy place he purposely makes a door in the real world so that it's a lot more in front of you and in your backyard and um he, i feel like he does that on purpose because he's trying to make people relate that it's not some kind of fantasy world he wants mm-hmm. people to know this is like right here in front of you yeah and uh the second part i wanted to add to was that um all the people that didn't want to pick a side i believe they worded as basically they're eternally following a flag while getting bit by bugs if it, if it was worded yeah some, some kind of insect 
Yeah. And it's a constant rain or something like that too. Mm -hmm. So it's just like in real life that it's like all these people follow these false flags. So it's symbolic of that, of course, too. I want to make sure I added that part in there. Um, And then as far as going across, across the river, it is kind of like a DMT type of type of thing where it's like, you're not supposed to be there. And they kind of look at you like, like, why are you here? You're not supposed to be here. Um, But he purposely has the ferryman because he, does this thing where he tries to link a lot of uh different mythology mm-hmm. into the story which is another shout out to virgil and his story yeah. so it's supposed to be like crossing the river six so it's uh supposed to be like the christian variation of that and just like in that mythology like you, you have to pay the tollman to get across mm-hmm. the river and in the christian philosophy of it they're, they're viewing it where like normal people aren't supposed to go into this realm where in Greek mythology and stuff like that it was kind of one of those things that the, the heroes could go through the journey so i feel like he purposely has a fuss going through because he wants people to understand there's a difference between these mythologies even though he was using a lot of the similarities from virgil's story i wanted to comment shane on the fact that you said this entrance to hell was in the physical world it could be like a cave or a stairway down so it's kind of showing that this dark night of the soul experience is universal and that it's not reserved for just people who die in the physical world but it's anyone who's living now will go through this process in some way and they'll be changed for the better for it if they're guided by someone like virgil who can help them uh, overcome these obstacles and the second part is going back to these opportunists in this first realm that dante encounters they're people who are being pulled in two different directions by each false flag that comes up in the the mainstream narrative. It seems like this represents people who aren't necessarily thinking for themselves and choosing their own side of an issue. They're kind of just going along with whatever is popular or mainstream at, at that time. And it's funny that this is the first area, the first sin that they talk about. Um, what did you think about this connection to the false flag reality and the fact that kind of like how your podcast points out, we need to do more inquiry into our reality. And if you don't, you'll just be led falsely by whichever mainstream narrative is being promoted. What did you think about all that? I believe it goes into the whole virtue signaling concept that mm-hmm. it's like everybody purposely hops on whatever. They're like, oh, here's here's the new thing. Here's the new thing. And they just continuously follow that forever where it's good to have to believe in certain things, you know, but mm-hmm. when you're just trying to do it to show that you're part of the crowd it's it's literally like you're just following following false flags ideally mm. um so i feel like there's a lot of this book that's extremely relatable to real life and when i read this book there's a lot of things that like hit home that make you think about your actions and where you would be if you were going through this situation yeah it's just a matter of uh there's a lot of symbolic things in in the book in the aspect of things that can easily relate to real life but he kind of leaves them in a vague but very specific way that it can relate to a lot of different topics like i'm sure reading this 20 years ago reading this now there was their false flag so it makes it so that this story can be different generations can use it in different ways to perceive their reality and it happens to fit the narrative at any given time because of the way he writes it yeah man well said it's like 20 years ago the same thing was happening just different stories different sides to be chosen uh so it's yeah it's kind of cool that there's this universal theme that has survived hundreds and hundreds of years that still connects to people who are looking for truth and trying to figure out what is really going on. So is there anything else you want to touch on for this first section uh, before we move on to the 
limbo realm with the virtuous pagans. Anything else we didn't mention? I think we're pretty covered on that one. Uh, the next part, I, I believe, is probably one of the more fun parts for me to cover, at least. So I think, I think we got all the, all the areas covered. The main things I want to make sure everybody keeps in mind is definitely the following false flags, because I'm sure there's a lot of people, well, maybe not the people listening to this podcast, but I'm sure you guys know a lot of people that fit that description and can see the error of the way of it of your way because of seeing it in a more i guess just a different view you know like yeah it's misery for these people but in real life you're doing it because you're just trying to hop on to the next trend in a sense to try to feel like you fit in with everybody but yeah looking at it in a literal sense makes you see the error of your ways as far as just like following these false banners. Cause I believe he uses the word banner, which, which is a little bit more fitting too. Yeah. The false banner. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool. I mean, this first lesson that Dante learns from these lost souls is that he has to be brave enough to choose his own side, to be an individual and not to simply go with the flow. It's kind of like people who only read the headline, but they don't actually read the full article. So they're kind of only getting a sense of what's really happening. They haven't actually dove in and found their own personal perspective or um, their own stance on a particular issue. So we'll leave it nice and vague there. And let's move into the virtuous pagans, which you mentioned these first few layers of hell are so important because they seem to touch on more common, more universal um, errors or sins, you could say, uh, as opposed to the lower realms, which deal with a lot of violence and fraud, which uh, I guess you could say is more rare like I would say most people aren't violent, but still get into those later. So we see in this realm, um, it's the virtuous pagans, as we mentioned earlier, there's Plato, Socrates, Seneca, Hippocrates, just to name a few people. And there's uh, Citadel, the Citadel of Human Reason, which they are living in or walking towards with seven walls, sort of represent those seven liberal arts, uh, such as like logic, geometry, astronomy, just to name a few. And these figures played a very positive role in our society overall, like especially Socrates. It seems like Dante can relate a lot to Socrates as a victim of cancel culture. It's almost like Socrates was executed because he was so disruptive to the mainstream narrative or to the uh, status quo at that time. So what did you think about these Greek and Stoic characters like Seneca, Hippocrates, and the fact that this is a group of philosophers that welcome Dante, they welcome Virgil, and they sort of bond in this one area. What did you think about this section? Uh, I want to add in first that before he gets to this section, there's uh, the section of unbaptized children and unbaptized people mm-hmm. first before you start getting into these, these minds. So there's this, uh, he kind of builds up to it that there is an area for people that are unbaptized and for the people that didn't have an art, mm-hmm. I don't want to say it's more of like a suffering feeling, but the idea is that you're kind of, it's almost like a limbo within hell that you're, you have this hope that one day you'll get to meet God or go to heaven, but you're kind of just stuck in this area. And it's not that you're getting tortured in this area. It's just that you're, it's, it's almost like the idea, idea in life that you just kind of get stagnant and you don't feel like you're going mm-hmm. anywhere. So it ends up tearing apart your soul a little bit on the inside if you don't have a purpose. So I feel like he purposely shows those people first and then he progresses into these philosophers and stuff because they're obviously not having nearly as bad of a time in this area because they have their arts. They can interact back and forth with them. Like me personally, um, I feel like if I was theoretically going through this, like this would be the area that I would be in because it's fitting the most to me as far as any part through this book, unfortunately. 
not that it's a bad thing because I'd love to talk to these guys, but the thing is to have your art to get past the time, you know, but I have a great quote here from Plato um, that I'd like to use that kind of fits into this area of mm-hmm. hell. And that's uh, those who are able to see beyond the shadows and lies of their culture will never be understood, let alone believed by the masses. So just having that type of idea, I believe kind of like throws you into here because these people weren't followers. They were free thinkers for themselves. And from their logic, they didn't believe in Christianity or whatever, because they're in a different time. So um, yeah, they, they just, they didn't fall into the trends. They found their own, own personal little area. And I feel like some of them want to progress like, uh, like Virgil, he kind of references the fact that one day he would like to progress past this, but mm-hmm. majority of the people he, he talks to in this phase, they're all very inviting to him. They're friendly. They don't seem like they're, they're sad to be where they're at because it's kind of one of those things that they have each other. Um, and they have great minds they can interact where he's talking about how these people are talking to each other. Like he references Homer being there, yep. um, a bunch of these people. And the other part that I appreciated in this is that he says that he wants to write his poem in the form of an epic poem. Mm-hmm. So when he goes to this area, a lot of these other epic poem writers like Homer, um, they're in this area. So he references something like, I'm going to learn from the greats in order to do this journey to write this extremely hard rhyme scheme. And if he didn't go through this area, um, he wouldn't have that inspiration. So I think the idea is also to show that even though people may not be the most virtuous people as far as religion goes, it doesn't mean that they can't be a huge inspiration for people to help them become where they to get to where they need to be. Yeah, man. Well said. It's cool that this area of hell is sort of the lighter side of this journey where Dante's reminded of the importance of of community like you said earlier these free thinkers these independent thinkers could have been exiled they could have been wound up by themselves without anyone to talk to but the fact that they're all together in this community that they can share ideas and continue learning and exploring reality it's very cool so it's like yeah Dante is reminded that he can be inspired by those who are in hell it's not like everyone there is evil necessarily but the fact that Dante is aware of the fact that these people have something valuable to to offer him, even though they would be considered sinners for not being believers. So it's interesting that there's a a conflict between the dogma of the Christian church, but also the fact that there's this philosophy and this wisdom that seems to clash at some points, but Dante is able to see the value in these ideas and these philosophies while he travels and thinks about his own flaws along the way. I feel like too he has he purposely adds this part in because he's trying to believe that there's a just God where a lot of people that read this book back in his day didn't like this particular part because they were heavy Christians didn't believe that these people should have a place where Virgil was looking at it not Virgil but uh, Dante was looking at it from the perspective of these people weren't sinners they did their best they tried their best through life um, it was just that obviously Christianity wasn't a thing when they were around. So he purposely wanted to show that there's a place for people that didn't sin and that God can be just, even if you don't believe in him. But because of that, he got a lot of, a lot of issues with other people in his time. Like if I'm not mistaken, this book was, was banned and they, they wouldn't, mm-hmm. it wasn't in circulation for a long time and mm-hmm. it got shut down because of particular ideas like this being in the book because, you know, they wanted to wipe out the pagans. That was the whole Christian 
idea when it started off is anybody that believed in a natural or a pagan religion, you know, they just wanted to completely exile them. And they didn't want them to think there was a place in, in their um, afterworld for, for mm. them because it was kind of one of those things that's like, you don't believe in God, you don't get a place. And they, they, it was a big issue at the time when this was written for sure. Now we're looking at it from a later on perspective. Now that we understand that there's a bunch of different religions and it's like, it's almost a, a calming feeling to know that mm-hmm. you may not believe in God, but if you're a just person, if this book happens to be, have true ideas in it, that at least there is, there is a place for you, you know, as long as you're a moral person. And that's kind of another idea that they're trying to show with this whole section yeah definitely between morality and these philosophical principles that these these greek stoic figures have offered to us it's like yeah they may have been exiled from the mainstream from the dogma of the church but dante is able to redeem them in a sense and uh show people that they have a valuable insight to offer each of us uh even though they were shunned or pushed away from the uh, world of the church. So it's interesting that he's given people a sense of um, redemption who were otherwise cast away from society. They're even shunned in their own society. So they're Mm -hmm. able to form this community together. So it's also kind of symbolic of that, that, you know, like-minded places, there always seems to be, as long as you're a moral person, like I was saying, there's there's a place for you to be with other like-minded people in the area. The last thing I would say about that, just because, you know, we're mentioning Plato, it seems like Plato's Academy, this uh, symposium, this meeting of, of minds may not have been possible in the Christian world, uh, but it was a reality down here in this limbo realm. So it was cool that this opportunity to connect with like-minded thinkers or critical thinkers, even if you don't agree with them, you can still debate and discuss and get something valuable out of it. It was able to exist here. And they seem to be happy with it. And it's cool that Dante was able to participate in that and gain some inspiration that he was going to need on the rest of his journey through the other circles. Call it the podcaster circle because I feel like 99% of us podcasters would be filling this place up. <laughs> yeah, right. We would all we would have an, a nice party down there, a, a nice discussion for sure. So uh, moving on to the next area, this has to do with the carnal. And I think the symbolism here of these souls who are caught in this whirlwind of desire. So that's in, in this sense, it's sexual desire. It's these, these people who are being controlled or they're being mastered by their own lust. And it comes in the form of the storm. It's like a tornado that carries them away and they have no, no power, no control. They're totally ungrounded. And this definitely does relate to this issue of being overindulgent in, you know, carnal desire, but it, it could be any kind of, let's say, dopamine addiction um so what did you think about this whirlwind symbolism where these souls are caught in the storm and they've kind of lost control of themselves what did you make of all this um i mean it's extremely similar to real life too in the aspect that people get caught up in affairs it's almost like that where you're getting pulled in a million directions at once Mm -hmm. so i feel like when he wrote this book he purposely tried to think of the most literal sense of a punishment for each of these things so there are, there's a particular story about these two lovers that he talks to there where um they're 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 stuck together for all of all of eternity so it's kind of like a, yes you may be getting thrown through a lot of sin but mm. at least you don't have to do it and bear it yourself so mm. i feel like he's also trying to be symbolic of that but 
just in the most literal sense, it's it's try, it's just like the emotions. If you let your emotions get control of you, mm. then it's like a whirlwind where you're getting thrown in a million different directions. So I feel like it's other. It's also symbolic of the idea of learning how to control your storm of emotions, and that's mm-hmm. why he also words it that way. And this is uh, you know an excellent lesson to be learned here, especially during a time where there are so many chaotic things happening, and people could easily be thrown into this turbulent mindset uh, where they kind of lose a, they lose a sense of who they really are because they're so drawn into these conflicts that may not have much to do with them, but they become so attached to the desire to be correct or the desire to gain something or to overpower someone. Um, and what I want to ask you is this, when Dante is learning about these lovers and these people who are caught in the storm, um, who are in a sense in this drug state, their reason has been taken away from them and they're, you know, they're caught up in this chaos and this turbulence. Dante is so overwhelmed by this that he passes out or he swoons, as they say in the story. So what did you think of the fact that- I forgot to mention that part. Yeah, it's like Dante is so overwhelmed by all this that he can't stay conscious. He loses consciousness. What did you think about that? Um. I feel like it's also symbolic of the fact that it's a lot to take in all at once, you know, like it's almost like he needed a little break to decipher the information that he's perceived so far in order to get to the next spot. Mm. Um, And I feel like it also kind of shows that as he's going through all of these things, he gets swept up in his emotions. So Mm. as he continues on, he starts to learn from his mistakes. So I feel like he purposely has the parts where he passes out and stuff so that he, um, it's like a learning experience that he's it's, it's symbolic of the fact that he also got upswept in his emotions, just like the storm. But, you know, he, he, he fell to the ground instead. But yeah, it's very interesting. Dante is an active participant in what's going on. He's not just passively observing what these souls are going through and kind of noticing their punishment, but he's also playing his own role in it or he's experiencing this and growing as a process. So in the beginning, when Dante's not able to, integrate all these truths or you know swallow all those red pills he slowly and slowly gains more of a stable footing in this chaotic turbulent spiritual realm Uh, so it's pretty interesting that in the beginning here yeah he's not able to fully accept or you know process all this information but he slowly will gain that ability over time especially when they reach the very end with uh, lucifer satan himself so uh is there anything else you want to get also make some a little bit more relatable in the sense that, uh, you know, if you're going through a traumatic thing, like people don't know how to react and sometimes mm-hmm. they will faint. So I feel like it's also trying to make him more personable to people reading the story. So they feel like he's purposely starts off on the weak side and progressively gets stronger to show that it's okay to be weak in the beginning, as long as you end up creating a stronger version of yourself in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. I definitely can personally relate to that. You know, if something traumatic or difficult happens, I'm not always able to deal with it right away. I think I, will shut down for a while and then come back online just like Dante you know he passes out and then he wakes up in the next circle so he's like being transported to this next area with the next lesson Um, but in the beginning you know he's not able to stay conscious through this process but something that he'll learn as he goes through I remember what I was going to say now I feel like it's also partly symbolic of the fact that it's okay to take a rest as you're going through the journey in a way that sometimes it's needed to just step back from the situation for a second in order to process. Mm -hmm. So he tries to throw that in to make people feel more 
comfortable in the fact that it's okay to to take a step back for a second and then continue the journey. You don't have to just you it's some people are better off just pushing right through the journey and you know, not taking a step back, but sometimes if you just take a step back for a second, you can you can get a different perspective instead of just getting swept up into everything. So it's yeah. almost like a needed break for a second for him, you know, to be able to process properly. Definitely. There's a really good lesson there. Like imagine someone who is trying to learn about all the conspiracies, like all at one time. It's like they're trying to get into JFK and 9-11 and COVID all in one day. It's like, that's a lot to process. You got to take your time and be patient because there's a lot to learn. There's a lot to unpack and you would be very overwhelmed to do it all at once. You know, we need to take a step back to process. And I'm going to kind of group this together because they're so similar. We have the third and fourth circle dealing with the gluttons, the hoarders and the wasters. So we have this group of people who, whether it's in a material sense, they're hoarding, or they're wasting materials, or the fact that they're consuming so much. And it's funny to think about this being a reality back in Dante's day, because certainly in our modern society, there's definitely a problem with overconsumption, or with being too wasteful, or in the sense of COVID, like, you know, people were hoarding toilet paper, there was a anxiety around resource and acquisition of resource and being comfortable and secure uh, with or through material resources. So overall, what do you think about this section? Let's start with the gluttons. They're living in a dump, basically. There's trash everywhere. It's like a gross, this nasty area uh, full of waste, whether it's food or drink or, you know, other types of garbage. Uh, So what did you think about the gluttons? I mean, super, super symbolic of what it is. They're just wallowing in their own filth. I mean, mm-hmm. everything he writes, it's an extremely literal sense. Mm-hmm. It can also be seen in a uh, in a different perspective from a very deeper sense. But he, mm-hmm. he tries to write it so that you can see that these types of people are just wallowing in their own shit, essentially. <laughs> yeah, essentially, essentially. And uh, the other concept, which I'm sure you're probably familiar with the film Fight Club, right? Yep. So with Fight Club, there's that famous quote, the hoarders and the wasters. They're people who lack moderation and they're definitely um, owned by the sense of greed. They're controlled by their own greed, uh, which, as Dante puts it, this abundance of greed is destroying their Holy Spirit. They're being weighed down by these mundane material objects, whether it's money or just other materials to own and possess. So this reminds me of that famous quote from Fight Club that says, the things you own end up owning you. Uh, so what did you think about the hoarders and the wasters and how we can all relate to this issue that we can go through? As far as today's world, it, sh- it's, it speaks to the fact that we live in a very materialistic world. I know um, when he was writing this in particular, this was the section that he was trying to reference a lot of the people that exiled him in mm-hmm. because he was trying to show basically you guys are going to be stuck in this forever. Like this is your guys own doing. Cause from everything that I've read, it wasn't anything that Dante did. It was that they didn't like his views. So they purposely pushed him out of here. Yeah. It's trying to show how that materialistic is not the way to be because items, they come and go. Like if you're not working on yourself and on your soul, then like none of the, none of the things you possess in this life matter. So even going off this section, my personal belief is that the meaning of life, is exactly what you what you make it to be but for me it's experience experiences and love because that's the gifts that you can carry on with you that you can progress farther on and some people spend their entire life 
chasing money. And I'm, I mean, if that's what you want, that's your grind. That's, that's on you. But as far as I'm concerned and what he's trying to say with this whole thing is that these things you can't take with you. So you need to work on yourself on the inside so that you can take these things with you because materialistic items are just, you're going to be wallowing in your own shit. (laughs) Absolutely, man. Yeah. And you, you brought up something earlier that I really resonated with. You were talking about when you lose touch with that creative side, like if you're working on your art, your poetry or your podcast, uh, you're in touch with something divine or infinite within yourself. But if you're only focused on money and surviving and you're stuck in this kind of fight or flight, sense of being anxious all day it cuts you off from that light that lighter side of reality that is full of creativity and inspiration and passion so it's yeah it seems like just like you were saying if you're all in on the material world if you're only focused on owning things then it's like they will end up owning you and they will prevent you from reaching those higher states that could be available through things like art or discussion like we're doing now or any kind of uh, creative endeavor. So it's nice to have a reminder of that. Yeah. It doesn't give anybody anything to remember you by. If you're into material items, they mean absolutely nothing. So in the end, your legacy is nothing. If that's all you're concerned about is treasures and whatever. But if you're an artist, a poet, a podcaster, a philosopher, anything like that, um, essentially your legacy can live on for the rest of eternity because like look at us with greek philosophers we're still pulling apart what they're saying like he's also i feel trying to show that legacy is within the arts it's not within materialistic things and even if you start something with the right intentions if it's a materialistic thing eventually just like most things somebody's going to see the opportunity for power and destroy what you've done so definitely like he's trying to symbolically say that the best way to leave your legacy is to not be concerned with these materialistic things. Yeah, man. Well said. And something that you brought up earlier is that, you know, years from now, after you've been podcasting for a long time, your children are going to have this legacy of your thoughts and your uh, perspectives and your intelligence and your creativity. You're able to leave that behind for them. And of course, you know, one day when we're gone and our, our children remain, we're going to want to leave them with some material good to help them survive, but it's almost more valuable to leave behind these conversations so that they could learn more about who you really are, who who you really were. And it's, I mean, that's why I'm so excited to to have these types of conversations because although there's nothing really uh, tangible that we can hold about them, they hold a lot of weight and they, they hold a lot of importance in my sense of like inspiration and motivation. So it's nice to, share this, uh, you know, this common drive for creativity and critical thinking and inquiry into our reality. <laughs> I said to throw that in there. Really yeah. name. I couldn't have thought of a better name popped into my head and, you know, just kind of went with it. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, see, <laughs> my Shane, the thing is like your, yeah, your legacy of being curious is, I want to say this in a positive sense. It's contagious when you're asking questions. Uh, I'm inspired to, to join in and question along with you and to, you know, pull these topics apart and to see what we can learn from them. So it's really cool that, you know, by making those inquiries into our reality, I'm inspired to go down different rabbit holes and to learn more and to look at my blind spots that are going to end up helping me and those around me. I don't know if this has already been said before, but different eyes, you need a different prize. Different Different eyes, different different prize. prize. 
Yes, sir. On things, you get a different different outlook and a different different result. So I don't know if that's been said before, but I like the way it sounds. Different eyes, different prize. It sounds great. You heard it here first, folks. It's a spontaneous uh, revelation, if you will. Different eyes, different prize. Nice to have a diversity of perspective here. And we have a lot to learn from each other, which is always very exciting. So, Shane, now that we've talked about the hoarders and the wasters and this material conflict that people go through, especially in in the modern day, there's also the wrathful and the sullen. So the way that I would think about the wrathful is that they're people who are resentful. They're angry and they're trying to almost gain revenge in a sense, like life has done them dirty. They, They need to redeem themselves by hurting other people. They're, they're wrathful, they're angry, they're resentful, and they're stuck in this mud. It's preventing them from moving forward. It's like they're stuck in resentment and they can't travel to the next stage in their evolution. While as that's happening, there's also the sullen who are not so much angry, but they're in a more depressed state. They're moping around. They refuse to accept this illumination available to them by life and by divinity and they feel depressed they're almost like nihilistic there's no point to living and they kind of mope about or sleepwalk through life so we have these two these two sides of the spectrum people who are wrathful they're very angry and resentful and then we have the people who are very depressed and sullen and i can definitely relate to both sides i think i would seem to oscillate between uh hopeless nihilism and just being angry and resentful and wanting to Um, burn it all down but you know not in a in a scary sense but like internally dealing with these crazy times that we can all sort of relate to this wrathfulness or this sullenness so what did you think about this section here with the wrathful and the sullen uh which which part comes first is it the people in the water or is it the ones pushing the rocks i just want to make sure i I Uh, hit it in order so I believe the people in the water come first. They're the people like stuck in this muddy water. Uh, it's hard for them to move. That's the wrathful, the angry. I feel like it's symbolic of people that, what's the phrase for it? The, the, the water, they're, they're trapped in the water kind of thing. They're stuck in the swamp where the water's above their head, where they feel angry because they feel trapped in a situation and they can't get out of it. So it's extremely symbolic of people that feel like, you know, they're, they're drowning in the water kind of a concept. Mm-hmm. And that's why I remember there may being references of different depths of how far people were in the water, mm-hmm. where the more they struggled, the farther they went down, mm-hmm. where it's kind of that idea that it's like, um, the more angry you get, the farther you sink into this swamp versus if you learn how to keep your calm, you're able to kind of like pull out of the swamp a little bit. So it's, it's symbolic of just people that are drowning within their own anger. Um, and then as far as the second part of it goes, I like that there's a part where it says that they're pu- there's they're pushing rocks, but there's two people on both sides pushing the rocks into each other. And that's supposed to be symbolic of if both sides are hard-headed and not willing to change, nothing's ever going to happen and it's not ever going to go anywhere. And you're going to push this giant boulder and take all your time and effort at, for, for you to essentially go nowhere and do, not do anything with it because you're not learning how to control your emotions properly. And if both sides, which is, I feel like this is symbolic for even today. If both sides would learn to, instead of going like this and bumping into each other, if both sides realize that you can have different views and push from the same side, then all the, this giant task, like the boulder would, would be, would be pushed progressively and it would actually go somewhere. But as long as people are going to have the two different sides and things are going to be polarized, just like in today's world, 
essentially be the same concept of two people pushing on two different sides of a boulder and it not going anywhere. Yeah, that's an excellent symbol. So like whether people fall into the state of anger and resentment or whether they're nihilistic and depressed, it's there's this common issue. There's two sides that are pushing against each other and they can never move each other. They can never make any progress. They're stuck in that perpetual conflict. So there's a great lesson there that if people do feel like there's no hope or that everything is terrible and they need to burn it all down, I mean, it's realizing the fact that, well, the situation, whether it's politically or spiritually, might appear to be impossible to, to change. But the fact is that everything is changing every day. Things are in flux and nothing is ever totally constant besides death and taxes, which I want to joke about a little bit. But those are the only constants there. But like everything else, these conflicts, these souls who are stuck in this realm of hell probably believe and internalize this idea that things are the way that they are and they can never change. That's a very limiting perspective. What do you think? And you're putting all your effort into something that's not going anywhere. So it's the people that are in this situation, they feel like they're doing everything that they can and nothing's changing. So I believe he purposely wrote it the way he did to show that emotion too, that all these people are tired and exhausted and not going anywhere. And that's how most people feel that are, uh, that are in those situations that they're just, it's like talking to a wall, you know, like yeah. it's not going anywhere, but you're taking all your effort and you're so frustrated and you don't have anything left in you, but you're still not going anywhere. <laughs> Yeah, man. And I'll quickly share a story that relates to this because like you said earlier, these people uh, are weighed down by these emotions and they sink into this, this mud, like the more weight that they carry with them, whether that's like emotional turmoil or just a feeling of hopelessness, it, it forces them to sink lower and lower. And yesterday I spoke to a therapist and it's kind of funny that when you are able to speak to someone and kind of get things off of your, your chest, you actually feel lighter. And that's, there's a nice symbolic principle there that if you keep it all to yourself and you bottle it all in, then it's going to make you feel heavier and heavier. And you're more likely to sink into that uh, proverbial mud or that symbolic uh, muck that gets people stuck. I'm sure you've been there, right? Oh yeah. That's all. That's, I was going to say the exact same thing. It's like learning to drop that baggage by dealing with it. So he's Mm -hmm. trying to say that, if you don't learn how to deal with your baggage, you're going to get sucked into the mud and you're just going to be full of anger, mm. which fits to, a, I'm sure a lot of people today are hearing that and it speaks directly to them, unfortunately. But because of hearing this today, now that you've, it, it's been made aware in, the, in a very literal sense, like I said, he was trying to do, he wrote this book on very deep levels to where mm. there's a very deep level to it, but there's a very surface value concept that normal people can hear this and be scared by it and then start looking into the deeper aspects of it if that certain situation speaks to him but it's extremely literal how he how he does everything and that's one of the best parts about it is that he can be so deep and literal at the same time absolutely man like when i was first introduced to this poem i was looking at it from a surface level i was a young naive student who thought well this is just a book that was written to put the fear of god into people but really I mean, if you look beyond the surface and think about these symbols and apply them in a more spiritual sense, uh, Dante is giving us insight into what it would be like to make peace with these demons that we carry around or this baggage, like you said. And it's cool that Dante is going through this process. And as we join Dante on this journey, it's helping him to 
unburden himself. And as readers, we can also do the same thing and create, you know, a better life for ourselves by examining these flaws and becoming aware of them. Exactly. Couldn't have have put it in better words. (laughs) So what are you thinking for the next section? We have uh, interesting entities that they encounter. The rebellious angels and the fallen angels and there are well they're guarding this area that dante and virgil cannot really pass through so easily uh, i know i'm skipping around a bit it's impossible to pack it all into to one episode but i'm skipping to the capital area of hell called dis i think is how you pronounce it d-i-s dis this 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 tower this uh symbolic area of you know the hierarchy of, of hell we have the angels running in this area and they block Dante's path once again. And even Virgil isn't strong enough to um, allow Dante to pass through. They have to call on a greater force. They have to rely on divine intervention to pass through this area. So that's just a way to set up what they're about to go through. But what did you think about this fifth circle and the sixth circle where there's the, the fallen angels and the rebellious angels and the fact that even Virgil comes up against this this force that he's unable to overcome by himself um i feel like it's i keep using the word symbolic but it's i can't think of a better word for it um that there are going to be very hard parts in the road that some people may not be able to pass through but that doesn't mean that you know without you 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 might be able to find the ability to pass through it even if somebody else isn't doesn't have the ability to pass through it so it's kind of showing one of those things that it's okay to need help sometimes. And that's kind of what I got from it to progress into a farther point. You can do all you can to a certain point, And once you get to a point that you can't pass, um, it's okay to, to call it for help. That's, that's what I believe he was trying to say with this is that if you get to a stuck point, uh, don't be, don't be afraid to need help, you know, cause a lot of people, when they're going through all this kind of shit, they kind of have that mentality of being an independent person, not wanting any kind of help. So now that you've been through the journey so far with him, He's trying to tell you that you can learn from the errors of your ways, that it's okay. Because as long as you're strong mentally within yourself, it's okay to call out for external help. Yeah, man. Well said. And that's kind of where Dante funny, like the very beginning, Dante is by himself. He's aware that he's unable to pass through these obstacles by himself. And so it's this, this whole journey while he's going through hell, he's meeting so many people. I mean, he's with Virgil this whole time, but every soul that he encounters gives him another piece of this puzzle helps him realize that it's through this dialogue this communication with others that he's able to grow and progress uh so at this point what did you think of the fact that you know again when virgil realizes he's not going to be able to get past these angels who are powerful these rebellious angels these fallen angels so he calls upon divine intervention and this angel this great one comes down to clear their path and uh like you were saying earlier kind of reminds me of this this uh ethos of like alcoholics anonymous for example where the first step is to accept that you need to ask for help that you have a problem and that it's okay to depend on other people to ask for for help so that they could uh support you and guide you you don't have to do it by yourself so the fact that virgil is able to call on this higher power who actually comes down and helps them is pretty cool. Um, what did you think about this scene where their, their path is blocked 
and Virgil asks for help, that help is received, and then they're able to move forward from that point. What did you make of this whole scene? Um, I want to go back to one spot towards the beginning that um, I feel like the he starts off by himself for a reason because it's trying to show that nobody else is ever going to tell you you need to change. You have to be by yourself to realize these things. And then once you come to the conclusion that you want to change by yourself, then somebody else can start helping you guide, help guide you because you can't expect somebody to guide you right from the beginning. So I feel like he purposely links that in. And then as it progresses farther into like what you were saying with him needing help to pass, I believe that that's showing that you can have somebody that helps you that you're very close with. Um, but once you get to a point where they can't help you anymore, it's okay to accept new people into your life to help you progress farther past that point. So what he's trying to show is that it's okay to get all you can from one person and then to, I don't want to say follow because the whole idea of it's not like you don't want false idols, but like it's okay to use multiple people's ideology and different views in order to get to where you need to go. So he's trying to show that it, you don't just want one person to help you. It's okay to have a community help you through tough situations. That's really cool. I never really thought about that before. So I'm happy we were able to break this section down because it's cool to consider this, that yeah, if you're asking someone for help, whatever kind of help they would offer you does have a limitation. Like people can only get you so far, but it's the fact that you decide that you want to change on your own. It's kind of like for me, I'm a teacher. So unless my students decide that they want to learn and do better, I'm not going to be able to impose that goal onto them. They have to seek it out themselves. So when Virgil does call on this guardian angel to come down and assist them, it always reminds me of that famous phrase, ask and ye shall receive. It's a great lesson there that, uh, you know, you're going to run into obstacles. And as long as you are willing and humble enough to ask for help, you'll be able to get through anything, even hell. And it's okay to ask for outside help and to let new people in don't be afraid to experience other people. Cause I've always said everybody has a piece of the puzzle and in order to see the grand scheme and the giant picture, you need everybody's piece of the puzzle to, to get the broader view of everything. So, you know, just because one person has this piece of the puzzle doesn't mean this piece is going to fit over here. So you need additional people to help you fill and fix those pieces to your puzzle also. Definitely. Definitely. Now, there's one symbol I want to bring up, or a figure, a mythological figure. So when Dante and Virgil are stuck at, at this point, they're trying to pass through this sixth circle, um, they encounter Medusa. So Medusa is interesting. If Medusa looks into your, your eyes, she turns you into stone. So she will freeze you in, in place, take away your ability to continue moving forward. You'll be stuck. So... The fact that Medusa is one of these guards guarding this next threshold on Dante's journey, I find really fascinating from a symbolic perspective. People probably come to an obstacle or a breaking point where they feel like there's no way they can go forward, that they feel totally stuck, just like when they're turned to stone by Medusa. So what did you think of the fact that Dante threw Medusa into this part of the story? And how do you think this influences Dante's journey overall? Um, I feel like it's a blend. It's another shout out to Virgil and his story um, on top of the fact that he was trying to incorporate a lot of this old mythology into like Christian mythology. As you've seen, there's a lot of it through history where Christianity has a lot of other mythologies mixed into it, which can be seen two ways. It's either one, 
making it so that more people progressed into Christianity or two, maybe there could be some, some down truths to certain parts. You know, if, if there's something that seems similar through six different religions, you know, there could be, could be fact at that point. Um, but my view on it is that there's two, there's two sides to it. It was the side that you were saying. And then I also feel like it's symbolic of not to let distractions get in your way. Like for him, He's a man who, who is into women, of course. So that's why part of the reason why I think he uses Medusa is to try to show that you can be building yourself up to be a better person. And all it takes is, I don't want to say an evil woman, but like not the correct woman. And essentially you can be turned to stone in the, in the spot that you're at and you won't progress any farther um, because you're not with the right person or taking advice from the right person. Um, so you essentially turn to stone and then you're stagnated where you're at. So I think he was trying to kind of throw that into that if, cause obviously he's in love with Beatrice, this whole thing, but if you start getting eyes for the wrong woman or the wrong significant other, it's going to put a halt to your, to your progression within yourself. Also, it's also kind of that same concept of, you know, you can't, you can't let people into your circle that shouldn't be there. So I think it's, he's also trying to, trying to say that also. Yeah, man. Well said. Dante's learning to use discernment and to kind of navigate the good and the evil and try to figure out how we can learn about evil without being totally absorbed and conquered by it. And there's a great quote that we spoke about earlier uh, before we hit record, but it's the fact that Virgil gives Dante this advice that he should be able to meditate on good and evil without descending down to participate in that same evil. Uh, so, like he can learn from these souls who have something to teach him and something to reveal to him, but he doesn't have to actually do the same things that they've done. He can um, learn from their story. And I think that's part of the fact why he tells this story is that, well, Dante has been through some pretty tough times and his story can help other people just by simply sharing it is doing an act of, of service to everyone else that he can teach something from his experience, just like Dante in the hell realm can have uh, some kind of positive takeaway, even from the worst of the worst sinners. They have something to teach him and Dante won't be totally negatively influenced by them, but he'll instead sort of alchemize this uh, lesson and he'll um, find a way to process this information. So what did you think of this, this fact that Dante is not descending and becoming a demon or becoming a sinner, uh, but it's the fact that he's, basically interviewing all these people. What did you think about all that? Um, I think it's supposed to be, he's, he's trying to show that you need to have the ability to see things through other people's shoes and see through another perspective. Um, I'm sure a lot of people in the podcasting community are fully aware of the concept of like observe, but don't do. Um, so it's, it's an important thing to be able to put yourself in the place of other people without actually going through those situations, because then it gives you the ability to, like this, have open conversations back and forth where a lot of people are set in their own ways and they don't have the ability to see from another person's perspective. So they're looking at it from their perspective and they don't understand the other person's. But if you start to understand the other person's perspective, even if you completely disagree with them, then you can start to get some kind of compromise or middle ground. So I think he's trying to uh, trying to show that within it that the very important part of building a better character for yourself and I think it's one of the key components as far as like my personal growth to obtain the ability to see things from other people's perspectives and to learn from other people's mistakes without making the same mistakes, of course. Yeah, yeah that's, 
that's been an awesome takeaway from this this poem overall is that you know just like you said we can learn so much from other people just by listening and and talking with them and sharing these ideas and uh, you know Dante could have skipped all this and just traveled through hell without taking that time to stop and talk to these people and learn about them so it's the fact that his curiosity his uh, desire to learn is what's helping him move forward and progress so Shane on the next section we have circle six seven eight and nine and when we're getting into circle six we're talking about the heretics and I sort of I would love to hear what you think. I'll just quickly sh- share that it seemed like the heretics were described as almost like people who were atheists, people who denied the fact that there was going to be some kind of spiritual immortality and they were not accepting of the gifts that I guess the church were offering them, but they could also be considered heretics for other reasons. For example, they could have been using false idols, like you said, or they could have been excusing their their own destructive actions in the name of uh you know some other god or some other belief system so what were your thoughts on the the heretics and how does this heresy or this awareness of heresy fit into your own perspective on life in general um i believe that he was trying to show that if you're not open-minded and you're set in your particular ways that you're going to be damned for it um, that's the best way to describe it. So if you want to put all your eggs in one basket saying God doesn't exist or whatever, like if that's your decision that you want to fully make and you're going to put all your eggs in that basket, you're going to be damned to your opinion. Um, so I think he's also trying to show that it's good to be an open-minded person because who knows what could be on the other side. So I don't know about you, but I'd rather be in limbo with the philosophers than with these guys saying that, yes, I don't believe in God or whatever. It's trying to show not to be closed-minded, I feel, and not be just completely set in your ways. And like I was saying on the last part, seeing things from another person's perspective, I feel like this just goes in and reiterates that point, that it's a huge needed aspect in order to be an open-minded person and just to embrace other people's ideas. That's that's what he's trying to get at. Don't just be so set in your way that you can't hear other people's ideas. Otherwise, you're going to be damned for for your opinions, essentially. Yeah, it's an awesome perspective. It's a great takeaway. I want to circle back really quick because I made a slight mistake. Uh, when I brought up Medusa, she was actually in this section of the heretics. So it's kind of like what you were just saying. When people are refusing to see things from the other side, uh, they could be turned to stone metaphorically. They could be um, unable to grow and to learn and move past you know, a mental block. Uh, they're turned to stone by their own stubbornness. That's kind of what I think of like, rock is like unmovable they're turned into stone they can't progress they're uh they're stuck they're earthbound yeah he's trying to say it's okay to say i don't know rather than to say that this is the death and an answer and not know for a fact and i feel like that's particularly why he talks about the atheists is because atheists don't know but they're so fucking determined that they do know that they just end up damning themselves for it (laughs) like it's okay to say i don't know and if you don't know then you can if you say if you're if you're willing to say I don't know, then that means that you're willing to learn and to figure out about the topic rather than just like, essentially turn yourself into a rock, like you were saying. Also, yeah, man, and it's ironic that you bring that up because we were just talking about you know the virtuous pagans or these philosophers in this uh, earlier circle, and that's kind of what Socrates was known for. He was considered intelligent because he was willing to be honest with the fact that he doesn't know everything. 
And he was honest with himself that I might be the smartest person in all of Greece because I am aware of what I don't know and I'm willing to open up about my limitations. So that's what made Socrates so great. And this, uh, these heretics are sort of showing the flaw that he was able to avoid that they probably do believe that they know it all. And that's what got them stuck in this, in this circle. A lot of philosophers have said that the only way to really start to learn is to understand that, you know, nothing. And especially in this community, the only way that you can really start to learn and understand is to admit to yourself that, you know, nothing. And even when you do know things like most of the stuff that we follow, it's like most of us in the community embrace the idea, but it's not like, unless it's like a particular topic that somebody's had an experience with, it's like you, you embrace the idea and you want to hear about the idea, but you're also not saying that it's completely a fact. You're just saying mm-hmm. that this is the pieces I have to the puzzle. This is what I believe so far. Um, but again, going back to this, it's like, you don't want to solidify and say that something's a fact when you don't know it's okay to say i don't know but it's also okay to express these ideas and to figure out about it because you don't know and that's what it opens up the opportunity to learn if you admit that you don't know yeah man absolutely and i just want to give a quick shout out to uh sam tripoli and mark from my family thinks i'm crazy and sam of of course most people know is on the tinfoil hat and what i i've noticed about both of them is that they're willing to talk to anyone even if they don't fully understand the topic or they agree with them necessarily, they give them the space to uh, speak their truth. And it's great because it's teaching a great lesson for me personally that uh, I should always be willing to speak to people, especially if I don't understand what they're talking about. Because if I open myself to that possibility, who knows what we could learn. And also the fact that you can still learn from someone who you don't agree with. There's still valuable insights that you can take away from people who could be considered on the opposite side of your ideology. So I think it's a great takeaway, Uh, you know, labeling someone as a heretic kind of limits the, uh, you know, the, the interaction you could have with them when really we could learn from everybody, just like how Dante is stopping to speak with each of these souls to learn from them and what they have to teach him through their own experience. Uh, it's kind of like, uh, you know, we all have our, our opinions, I'm sure, in this community about, like, uh, for example, like the trans community. But uh, that doesn't mean that most of us aren't willing to sit down and have a discussion with them about stuff. But, um, you know, it's it's one of those things that if one side doesn't want to do it, then it becomes a battle. But, you know, like, I, I, may, not, I have my, may have my own views on it, but I'm not going to block myself off from the ability to learn about these things because I'll never be able to put my play, my cease from somebody's other somebody else's perspective unless you're able to have the ability to sit down and have a conversation with people that you completely disagree with and that's fine it's just you have to leave your emotions out of it i feel like a lot of this book every single step of the way is trying to show that it's okay to feel emotions but you can't let your emotions control you otherwise you block yourself off to a lot of things you just have to learn how to use your emotions to your advantage to build yourself and progressively learn because you know you can even turn jealousy into into motivation to do things. Mm. Um, you can turn anger into, into a spark of creativity. Um, like it's law of duality bouncing back and forth. You can always, you need to take negative and positive and see both sides for what they are and create this neutral in the middle. And that ends up seeming to be like the best, the best route, you know? Yeah, man, it makes perfect sense. And it seems to relate to what has been happening recently. It doesn't really matter what the issue is necessarily or the, the, the topic, but people tend to throw out labels to attack others. Like if I disagree with you, I could call you like a bigot, 
a racist or a homophobe or et cetera. And that's kind of what like labeling someone a heretic could, could be in a, in a similar vein. It's being unwilling to hear them out because my emotions are too caught up or too attached to my side of the issue. So it's nice that Dante's story is reminding us to kind of open ourselves up to an open, an open flow or an open debate that has a productive dialogue um, leading us to new insights. Uh, it's kind of, what I've taken away from it. I was gonna say it's kind of a kind of a catch twenty two in a sense because like you can see it from this perspective, but going through history, it's like it's okay at certain times to be a heretic because you need a heretic in order to make people realize things. Like a lot of these old philosophers that were like put to death and they stood their ground and there was a reason for that, you know. It's like if you know an issue is completely immoral, like of course take your stand and become that heretic, but if it's, you know, it's good to see from both perspectives, but in order to make your final decision, in order to be able to make your ground, you have to see both perspectives. So sometimes it's, sometimes it's needed to, to make your mind and to stay with your mind. But even if you're doing that, you should still have a full understanding of the other perspective. And that's why you can make this final decision is because you have the perspective of both angles. Yeah, so man. at that point, you're doing it for a cause. Yeah. Excellent point. Let's be willing to be considered a heretic. You know, it's good to have that sense of bravery to stand out against the masses or the sheeple, if you will. You know, it's good to think for yourself and to take that that risk of being ridiculed, even if you have um, views that not everyone agrees with. It's nice to um, learn that kind of lesson of being courageous and also being uh, open, open minded. Um, so what courageous for the right reasons I for think the right is another thing that he's trying to say here yeah awesome so up. i don't know if you can hear me oh all right I can hear now. okay <laughs> did you hear the last thing i said then yep uh being uh courageous for the right reasons and you know being um willing to uh you know defend a point of view or to be open to a different point of view for the right reasons I, I guess like overall it's to help educate people and to help open people up to um, different ideas without being too attached to one particular stance. Exactly. Uh, and, and you want to make sure that before you make your final stand, like a lot of these, uh, what he's referring to as the atheists, like <laughs> they made their decision without seeing both sides. And I feel like he's subliminally kind of trying to say that too. Yeah. So I want to ask you, Shane, this next section, the seventh circle, uh, we're starting to deal with the, 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 the issue of violence. And so there's the violence against neighbors, violence against self. And then they refer to this last part as the violence against God, nature, and art. So uh, what were some of your, your takeaways here? There's a lot packed into these lower levels. Um, so once again, that's violence against neighbors, self, God, nature, and art. Uh, what kind of takeaways did you get out of these sections? I mean, personally, for me, I feel like they're like the biggest sins you could commit to other people, of mm -hmm. course, that you no matter what you do, um, you don't want to necessarily hurt others. Um, like protecting yourself is one thing, but, you know, you don't want to just blindly start killing people or hurting your neighbors or anything like that. Um, I guess I guess if you want to probably be a little bit easier, maybe we can talk about each piece of what you said, because I want to be able to make sure we have like a a discussion on each each topic so if you want to give me your side on that and then ask the next part and then i can give you my opinion yeah on sure the next area. so yeah just to comment on, on what you just brought up i mean it's good to think in a broad sense that uh when we're talking about 
violence as this next issue. It relates back to that golden rule of Confucius, like, you know, do unto others as you would do unto yourself. It's such a great guiding principle. And it's uh, people would forget that when they are willing to, to hurt others, you know, they're, they're doing violence onto themselves as well. So there's one thing I want to bring up in the beginning when they talk about sentence had to do with the golden rule, like do unto others as you do unto yourself. So these uh, these souls in this lower area who are choosing to be violent are harming themselves in this process. They're um, they're doing damage to themselves by uh, hurting other people. You know, I was going to say that um, considering that we're the only animal on this planet that can essentially sit down and talk things out mm. it's uh he's also trying to say to not fall back to those primal urges because we have this ability to talk so yes we started off primal but we've adapted so it's a sin to hurt others because there's logically speaking unless somebody's so far beyond where they're hurting your family and there's a reason to react if there's any topic of discussion there's no reason for it to start physical physical altercation when we have the ability to just sit here and, and discuss these things because if any two two sides are willing to compromise like the, there will be a middle ground found just when people hold their ground so so tight and they have that violence violent intention behind it that's where the issues come in you know she's trying to say not to resort back to being primal because we have the ability to talk Absolutely. And that's why I find it so symbolic that the first obstacle that Dante faces are these animals and they're hungry, they're, uh, they're ready to devour him. And it's, you know, definitely representative of that bestial side of humanity that if people lose their sense of reason, then they can turn into animals. So it's ironic that in this first section, uh, where people are violent against their neighbors, uh, there are centaurs in this area. So they're literally like half man half horse, uh, you know, half man, half animal. And so there's this, uh, going back to the duality that you talked about, there's the centaur, there's also the minotaur. So that's half man, half bull. So it's like these people who are um, being uh, led to violent acts are not able to control that animal side of themselves, whether that's because they're too emotionally invested in their belief system, or, you know, they just... uh, don't know how to process um, this darker side of themselves. So what did you think about this? The Minotaur, the Centaur, these, uh, you know, this duality of man and animal in this section of the story. Um, I believe it's symbolic, like you said, to try to show that people do still have that animal side to them. Um, I feel like through mythology, they made a lot of these, I mean, whether they, they were real at one point or not, I'm not a hundred percent sure who knows I wasn't alive at these times, you know, but um it's trying to show that almost like what we what we do come from and what we could be if we fall down the wrong path that we will become these animalistic type creatures um that get so they're so hellbound on certain things like the minotaur being just like an angry rush type creature it's it's a very fitting showing that primal urge of how people are that when they're when they resort back to not, not having the ability to talk they become bullheaded hence the minotaur and they'll come at you head on with full anger so it's symbolic of that also talking even back to the last section we're just talking about it kind of continues off that same idea yeah that's a great way to connect the you know that stubbornness being bull 
bullheaded um, as a way of showing like, you know, these, uh, these obstacles in our psyches act as barriers between uh, being reasonable, being compassionate human beings, and then turning to this more hostile creature that we all have the potential to become. So with that being said, there's also the violence against self. So this is introducing us to a new section where there's what's called the wood of the suicide. So it's a whole area of people who are trapped in trees. Like they've become absorbed into this tree and they're stuck there and they're being tortured by harpies, which are kind of like these uh, feminine mythological creatures that are like birds and they um, are tearing at these people. They're torturing them. They're stuck in these trees and it's going on forever and ever infinitely. And I think talking about self-harm and suicide is a very, you know, touchy issue. It's very sensitive. But the fact that Dante includes this in the lower realms of hell is, I, I find it's very interesting. Uh, what did you make of this section of the violence against the self and what this stands for? I think he's trying to show how important it is to not have that mindset where it's almost like they're in trees because once you've committed those acts, you're planting yourself where you are, where you can't progress further into it, you know, um, <clears throat> and there's no ability to progress because you've now did the, the final action of ending thing. And it's also, I would say if there's a divine being, if there's a universal consciousness, it's almost like disrespectful to them because you go through things in your life in order. Like I, I personally feel like there's a big grand scheme to everything and everything happens for a reason. So if you, you know, take, take the quick exit out, then you never get to see what the end of the journey is. So he's trying to symbolically say that once you take this exit out, you've planted your roots and you're stuck here forever. So hence the trees. And then uh, the harpies are symbolic of the fact that after you've committed these acts, um, everybody's going to be picking at you and the things that you did. So I think he's trying to say that no matter what, these people are always going to be picked at because of the choices that they made. So it's very literal in that sense also, because he has the, the depth and the literal sense into everything. Absolutely. You've reminded me of this great, uh, it's a hashtag used by a couple of these free thinkers on Instagram. It's called the remembering. And I feel like when people forget that there is, uh, or there could be this divine plan, like that's what Dante is going through. This is his destiny. And Virgil refers to Dante's journey as being willed by the heavens. So whenever a spirit or a demon tries to stop them and say, hey, you, you can't be here. Virgil counters with, well, no, actually, we're supposed to be here. This is all a part of the, the big plan. And so it's nice to see this story as a reminder that, you know, people could forget about their individual unique place in this universe and feel like they should end their own lives. And really, it's, it's valuable to remember the fact that we're all here we all have a different piece of this puzzle. And if we work together, if we talk to each other, if we are proactive with each other, then we can figure out where we fit into all of this and find a meaningful path that doesn't get us stuck in these trees or these other obstacles. Any other thoughts on this wood of suicides here? Yeah, it's, it's trying to show too that if you, if you end your journey, then you're never able to help people 
go through the same journey. So if anybody's listening to this and they had those kinds of thoughts, keep in mind that if you weren't having these thoughts right now and you weren't feeling that way right now, then if you overcome it, which I really hope that you do, then you can be that shining light for somebody else that's feeling that same way. And you have to go through these struggles in order to help somebody else. So there's a reason for it. Like there's a reason why you feel suicidal at certain points in your life, or there's a reason why you feel sad. It's so that you can use that as a learning experience. And then if you find people that are having trouble navigating those waters, you've already been there. So you can help them navigate those waters. So it's another reason to push on is that if there's any, is anybody out there that's suicidal listening to this, keep pushing through because all of us have been there at some point. And if you push through, remember how you feel right now and you could help somebody that's feeling that same way you feel right now. So it can give you a sense of purpose to push through these hard times that you're feeling them for a reason. And it also shows that why you feel suicidal could also be the things that you need to help and progress in your life. And a big issue that a lot of people have that are stuck in these boats is that um, they think that they need an instant change right away. And just like almost anything in life, you got to take it into smaller pieces and work on one piece at a time, like doing these podcasts. It's not just like we just threw all this shit together and call it a day. There's pieces to it. You plan out the day, you get on the Zoom call, you start recording, you go back through and you edit, um, you make your cover art, you upload, <clears throat> and you have to perceive almost anything like that, that anything can be scary if it's looked at as one solid big picture. But if you look at it from the perspective of little pieces and you build those little pieces piece by piece to make this bigger picture, you can get through the journey instead of being discouraged from the journey. Yeah, man. Well said. That's a nice inspirational message. And it always relates back to Dante's journey overall is the fact that he couldn't just skip down to this last level of hell and overcome the, the greatest evil. He had to go step by step through this process. So it's really all about that journey overall and knowing the fact that, like you said earlier, if you're able to stay strong and hang on and, and, and go through these challenges that when you come out on the other side, not only will you be fulfilled and relieved, but you'll be able to assist other people who are maybe going through the same thing. So it's nice to this uh, dark night of the soul, this process of integrating these challenges will benefit you, but they will also give you the opportunity to give back to other people who might need that assistance. And it can be seen in multiple ways too. It may not just be necessarily suicide, you know, like people that can't deal or cope with reality and they turn to drugs, which I, I was one of these people in particular. That's why I want to bring this up. Um, you may not have the intention of suicide or self-harm necessarily. You're just trying to feel numb, but you end up doing that unintentionally to yourself because all it takes is a little bit too much and you could overdose. So, I mean, if there's other people that are experiencing problems with uh, with drug abuse, um, it's kind of it's kind of in the same realm of things that it's just like become aware of your actions and why you're doing the things that you do. And once you become aware of the things that you do, then you can start correcting things step by step. Like I, I was a huge alcoholic trying to trying to shut off my mind, stuff like that. And it took me almost losing my family to uh, start getting into psychedelics as like a character builder. And that's one of those things too, that it's kind of a mainstream society will say, you know, like you're a drug addict, you're a drug addict kind of a thing. But as far as I'm concerned, there's, there's good drugs and bad drugs. There's drugs that are going to hurt you. 
and then there's drugs that are going to hurt you, your family, and then there's drugs that are that are going to help you build yourself as a character if you use them for the correct reasons. So somebody's fighting with, you know, an opioid addiction, um, alcohol addiction, anything like that. I know that people have their different perspectives on it, but um, like you, you can get over it using the proper tools. So like I was an alcoholic. I ended up getting into LSD to help me uh, get over that. And in turn, it turned into this whole spiritual journey for me also. I like I use them when I feel the need to, but it's not like, you know, I, every weekend I'm waiting to get fucked up on psychedelics. You know, it's uh, like they, they can be used in a, in a progressive way too. just trying to give a message out there to anybody that has any kind of drug issues. If they ever need help trying to figure out how to re- rewire their brain, like there, there's opportunities out there. And it doesn't mean that you have to stop doing drugs altogether because let's be honest some of them are just pretty fun um but you can use the right ones in the right way and end up turning it into a progress progressing thing that can help you like most people that are alcoholics um like they they just want to feel like messed up but like i was saying even for me uh you take lsd and then it quickly turns into a whole other experience where even if you weren't going into it with the intention of building yourself as a person you just needed a replacement feeling of being messed up as as you word it um it can progress into something else, especially if you go into it with the right mindset. So I just want to throw that out there that just because like drug addicts um, are also in this category with self-harm, but there's also things that you can do to become better and not be stuck in that same situation, of course. Yeah. It's an excellent point. It's not, it's not only just suicide. I mean, suicide could be the most extreme, but any um, behavior or habit that causes harm can be kind of, similar to what's 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 happening to these souls in this realm and i think you bring up an excellent point like you know overall let's say dante if he never got if he had never gone through this uh this journey through hell he probably would not be capable of going through the rest of his life with a feeling of optimism or inspiration like this was a necessary part of his process so i mean it's like whenever I think about times where I've been very depressed or kind of like beaten down by life in general, although I didn't enjoy going through that, it was a necessary process that I had to go through because it revealed to me what I need to focus on. And that's what this, this first poem is all about. This first section of the divine comedy is becoming aware of these issues and then finding out what tools are available to move forward from this point yeah rock you gotta hit rock bottom in order to build yourself back up sorry i just want to make that comment in there real quick all good yeah uh the delay is pretty funny uh but we've been doing great man and yeah absolutely hitting rock bottom is going to be the one of the most insightful places to find yourself uh because from that point on it's only up from there and there's a lot to be gained and learned from um going through that struggle Every single person who's into self-building, I guarantee you, every single one of them, if you come and ask, the start of it was hitting rock bottom. Because you have to realize your actions before you can correct them. And as far as, you know, just trying to get stuff out in the open, like I keep telling everybody, I'm always down here to talk to anybody if they need to talk. Um, Like mine was drinking too much, taking a bunch of pills, and ended up in the hospital. Again, not with the intention of suicide by any means, but again, you push it a little bit too far. And you cause more self-harm than you think you're doing to yourself. And I mean, again, sometimes it's a necessity to build from there, but you know, just keep that in mind <laughs> that all it takes is a little bit too much and you won't be around no more. 
Yeah, Shane. And overall, I'm 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 thankful that you came here and were able and willing to uh, open up about this. Because again, if anyone listening can relate, hearing your story, hearing these experiences that we've shared and these dark nights of the soul that we've we've gone through, I mean, the more people hear about them and how other people have been able to overcome them, uh, the more inspiration we can share with whoever's listening, anyone who uh, wants to become better or overcome whatever darkness they're trying to deal with. So before we uh, dive into another tangent, I do want to ask you about this next section of the violent circle. It's the violence against God, nature, and art. And there's uh, a lot there. There's a lot to unpack. And I was curious, where would you begin with this section of nature, God, and art, and doing violence to those three things? I got to say, this is probably one of my favorite ones to address the topic on here. As far as nature, it's like we we only have one place to live. So if you're if you're destroying it, like wh- where the fuck are we gonna go? It's like it's important to to keep in mind that it's not just us on this planet. Like we we affect every other living being on this planet. Throwing shit in the ocean, anything like that, it affects everything else. So we take into consideration. It's like you know you don't shit where you eat. So have love for where we live because it's an extremely important thing even as far as like self-love is to be able to love your environment you're around. Like it's really hard to love yourself if you're living in a place where it's just full of garbage and dirt and shit everywhere. Um, and then as far as like the violence towards religion, um, that's, that's a huge aspect in the things is that I've always said on my podcast, it's okay to be into any religion that you're into. That's fine. Like people use them to have just like a basis of trying to be a good person but my only issue with a lot of religions is that it just takes one person that realizes they can manipulate that power and it kind of fucks it up for everybody. So I'm not saying any religion is necessarily bad, but a lot of the people that are in control of these religions see the fact that it's a power it's a power structure and they take advantage of that. So I feel like this this section is personally pertaining to the people like that because I feel like the violence towards God in particular is one, like uh, the Crusaders, for example, you know where they're pretty much like believe in what we believe in otherwise we're going to murder you um so that that, that's violence for religion and it's it's going back to the last section with the suicide too that it's like you're you'd be harming if there is a greater power be it universal consciousness whatever you're disrespecting their main plan and hurting them in turn by doing that same thing with yourself so if you hurt yourself you're also hurting the grand scheme of it. it. It can be viewed in a bunch of different ways. Like I said, it's a religion with the whole aspect of like, don't murder for the sake of religion, because that completely defeats the purpose of religion in the first place. And in turn, also it's like, you don't know what religion could be true or which ones aren't true. So why disrespect and shit on any religion? Because again, in the end, you don't know. And from this story, you see it's better to not know <laughs> And be in limbo where it's the only area in hell that isn't bad versus being one of the heretics, you know, that was set in stone and that was their views. And then they ended up getting, getting destroyed for it. And then this is my favorite part that I wanted to comment on was the art section that, like I was saying earlier, the most important part of being human and my, my reasoning for the meaning of life is experience and art would be in turn part of that experience because there's not a better way for people to understand your feelings, your emotions at your time than through art. And it can also be perceived through so many different ways. It can tell the history of a, of an area. Like you can see a city. You don't know how the people lived in that city until you start seeing people's art and how they perceive things. Like if they have a lot of dark and dingy looking pictures, 
you can perceive the fact that it was probably a very dark time when they were alive, but if everything is bright and colorful, there's birds, then you perceive that maybe it was a good time that they're alive. But if you're destroying art and you have violence and everything towards art, like ISIS, for example, going through and destroying all this ancient stuff, like essentially you start destroying history. And if you destroy history, then history is bound to repeat itself because we can't be aware of these same mistakes. But by destroying art, you're essentially destroying the human experience as far as I'm concerned. You're destroying somebody's legacy that they left behind. So as far as I'm concerned, that's that's one of the worst possible acts that somebody could, could commit is the destruction of art and the destruction of somebody, anybody's perspective of things, honestly. Because even if you don't agree with it, still needed to understand the times, you know, because you can see 10 different pictures painted from the same exact year, same exact location. And it's going to be painted 10 different, multiple different ways, depending on that person's perspective. And it's very important to understand all of that as far as I'm concerned, because again, we can never progress as a society if we don't understand people's thoughts and emotions back in the day. Mm -hmm. Yeah, man. Well said. I definitely relate to your perspective on this attack against art so like we can consider Virgil and Dante they were sort of exiled for their their art like their books may have been banned or burned like it was rejected and the fact is that Dante's art especially in this epic poem was going to be well revealing a side of humanity or of society that people should consider so like part of this story into the inferno is showing a rather bleak side of existence and it's almost like for me personally, Dante is showing how life could be like this. We could be stuck in these circles of hell while we're still living on this earthly realm. But the whole idea of progressing up towards paradise is Dante's way of showing that, yes, this is what life could be like. Life could be bleak and full of suffering. But here's an alternative. Here's a path that would lead people to a better existence. And that's what I find valuable about the Inferno is that first we're becoming aware of the possibilities of you know how life could go wrong and it's a good way to guide us to think about how we could do better and how we can make improvements um, whether that's a small change like saying hello to someone or smiling at someone when you're out in public versus those bigger campaigns like in politics or in uh, you know, the stage of the entire world. So it's nice to be able to think about the scale at, at which we can create more of a paradise on earth um, and avoid this hellscape that we've been learning about and becoming aware of. Any thoughts there? It's starting to become a lot more open now too, but I feel like he was also trying, he already knew that this, his book was going to get shit on. So, I mean, he didn't even get, realistically, this book never even became popular in his lifetime. So he never even got to see this book become what it is you know which is extremely sad so i feel like it's like that with most people with art is that people at their time don't understand it and way later on people look back and they're like damn like the guy that everybody perceived as crazy was the one that knew what was going on so i think he had that in mind so he wrote this wrote that part trying to preserve his legacy in a sense because he was trying to make people aware reading the book that things like this happen and if it wasn't for art like we wouldn't be we wouldn't be reading this book now if it wasn't for destruction of art you know what i mean like and how much stuff in the past has been completely destroyed that we completely lost like a whole method of thinking and a whole form of art just because of people with the wrong intentions and destruction of art that's why honestly this is probably my i feel like the most important topic because one of my biggest things i talk about is like freedom of speech and that's a direct 
relation to today with what you're saying where people don't see it that way, but words and talking is a form of art. Um, it's, you know, just like you perceive like playing an instrument is almost like another language. And if you're destroying freedom of speech and like what us podcasters are doing as far as like, I feel like this is the final front for freedom of speech is stand up comedy. And this, like we've been pushed all the way back to the corner and this is where we're at. And this is the last stand. Like it's extremely important, you know, <laughs> couldn't agree more, man. I know too many people who have been censored or shadow banned and things like this. So that's definitely, I would perceive that as a direct attack on art. Now, of course, you know, there's limitations like, if someone is inciting violence online, then yeah, maybe it's not a good idea to give them a platform. Like there's a reason why ISIS doesn't have like a Twitter account, you know, it's like, they're not going to be like promoting their worldview, uh, their um, need. See, it's or a double backstroke. Yeah. It's like, you don't necessarily want to limit everybody. Like, again, I'm not pro ISIS by no fucking means at all. But as soon as you start telling one group of people that they can't say what they want to say, then it starts transitioning into everybody else. And the problem is that people today just need to learn the ability to not just follow shit blindly. Like, I don't, like, I'm not saying again, I should have like a Facebook page, but if they did, it should be one of those things that everybody's like, they should have the, the means to express what they got to express. But the majority of people would hopefully look at that and go, this is fucking bullshit. These people are crazy. Like, fuck that and throw it off. Or it goes into, again, you got, you got to be a free thinker in the world. But as soon as you start like uh, falling into stuff like that, it's like it's contradicting itself. Because like you got if in order to believe in full freedom of speech, you have to believe in full freedom of speech. And as soon as you start censoring one group, that means that you don't believe in freedom of speech. Um, but yeah. it, it's okay to disagree with people. It's just that the issue is people don't have that mentality to just admit that something's fucking bullshit. So the government and whoever the higher powers that being feel like they need to step in and do it for them. But again, it's it goes back to contradicting the whole concept of freedom of speech. So like I'm a firm believer in yeah. everybody should be able to say what they want to say. It's just a matter of whether or not they get boosted by people or not, where it's like it should almost be within the community, you know, like it shouldn't be a government issued or a Facebook issued thing. It should be one of those things that like everybody should have the means of having their opportunity to talk. But there should also be another side that's like, hey, just from my experience, I see both sides like these people are bullshit. Don't listen to them. But that doesn't mean they should be silenced, but it just means that other people should use their ability to talk to people, to make people realize that these people are crazy and they shouldn't be banned. But, you know, they should definitely end up getting down to zero followers because of people hopefully thinking logically. But <laughs> I totally hear you, man. Like the excess of like cancel culture of censorship is disempowering because it's kind of like showing people that they're not smart enough to make their own decisions and to use their own discernment. It's like, we're going to decide for you. But instead it's like, you know, if you want to prepare for any kind of debate, like the best thing you can do is look at both sides. But if you're only able to look at one side, I mean, then you're going to be missing a big piece of that puzzle. So when it comes to attacking art or attacking free speech, I think it's really crucial to think about what we would be losing if we were to just censor everybody that we disagree with, you know, that, prevents uh dialogue right you say you have to see the broader picture it's kind of like the whole vaccination thing not that i'm sure everybody brings this up but like my view on it is like i don't care whether or not you got it or don't have it i personally will never will never get it but people have to see the perspective of just because you got it doesn't mean that you shouldn't fight for the right for people to not get it because it's a matter of choice to put things in your body 
and to have different opinions on things. And uh, like, I get the whole concept that people are like, oh, just uh, just do it because it's better for everybody. But that that's the issue with the thought here is that you see it that way. And I understand your perspective of that. But you have to look at the broader picture that you are complying with what they want. So you're just giving in. And if you give in, then you're you're essentially giving away your freedoms and you, you just don't understand like the broader picture of it. Like they're never going to come in and say, uh, you know, we want to have the ability to put whatever we want in your body. They're going to trick people into handing over their freedom before that. So it's like, even if you do or don't disagree with it, you should still back the right for choice because as soon as you give them the right to say what we can and can't put in our body, then everybody loses another basic human right because at no point should anybody tell you what you should or shouldn't have in your body. Even the mask thing. Like, I understand where people are worried about their neighbors or worried about all this. I understand the sense of community. Um, I get that perspective. But again, it's one of those things that if you give them that opportunity, like, it's fine that you want to wear a mask. Like, if you aren't comfortable with me wearing a mask, like, we can stand farther away from each other. Like, that's fine. Like, whatever. But you have to understand the other perspective that as soon as you give them the opportunity to say everybody has to wear a mask, again, that's another freedom that you don't have. And that's another thing that, like, like 9-11 was a perfect example that uh, essentially they scared everybody. So everybody handed over their freedom. Now you can't go through the airport without getting a full cavity search. And that wasn't just something that they instantly did one day. They tricked everybody into normalizing that. And people aren't seeing COVID as that, that like, even if you do or don't disagree, you have to back up the initial concept that it's a basic human right to decide these things. And you shouldn't, it's okay to have different opinions, but it's okay for other people to also have different opinions. And if you don't agree with those people's opinions, instead of shitting on them and outcasting them, just understand that you can coexist in the same space separately if that makes sense if 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 you need to you know or you can just again understand somebody else's perspective like that's what it comes down to like i, I can be friends with the complete opposite of me because right. i've never been judgmental towards other people's perspectives mm-hmm. you know like i'm the hippie type but you know it doesn't mean i don't get along with you know people that are into trump people that are into biden like whatever right, like right. i'll hear everybody's perspective on things and i i accept them for their opinions you know and i they accept me for the fact that i have a different opinion and we can be friends still because of that and like the like, yeah, personal emotions get in the way you know absolutely that's why i brought up sam tripoli and uh mark from my family thinks i'm crazy earlier because they're great examples of people who are willing to talk to anyone and not let their own bias or emotions uh prevent that discussion from happening and i think shane i totally agree with everything you're saying and it's a perfect segue into this eighth circle, which is all about fraud and sort of like manipulation. Um, It's betraying people. It's part of it could be, you know, related to the issue of coercion of people going through this medical procedure or bullying people into complying. Uh, It's a form of manipulation or it's fraudulence. It's, uh, you know, we're going to be forced to to do something or coerced into do something, uh, even though the information that's backing it up may not be as solid as they say it is. Um, So with that being said, there's a bunch of different examples of this fraud, this maliciousness. This is a huge section of this book, this eighth circle. There's many different directions we can go in. I'm going to skip ahead and bring up one and then feel free to go back and cover anything that I skipped over. But I want to first bring up what they refer to as the fortune tellers and the diviners. So typically these may have been people who were 
into things like astrology or looking at tarot cards and trying to predict the future. And it was at that time seen as going against the grace of God. This was like a form of blasphemy almost. And while I personally, I do love getting into things like astrology and looking at the the tarot and using them as tools for understanding, you know, I kind of agree. We shouldn't really be able to predict the future or try to trick people into thinking that we know what the future has in store for us. So what did you think about these fortune tellers, these diviners, and the fact that their punishment in this realm is that their heads are turned backwards? So while they were trying to look ahead and use this occult magic, I guess, to see beyond human limitation, that they were now being punished by seeing the world in a backwards sense and their whole uh, physical body was reversed. So what did you think about the fortune tellers and the diviners? Um, I think the best way to describe it is they, he's trying to use it in the sense of like people that have power shouldn't abuse it. That's kind of like how, what I got from this, like talking about the whole uh, religion concept that it's like people that are in the know and they know um, what's going on and how to, how to do these things they shouldn't abuse their power and use them for the wrong reasons so same with like a like a fortune teller you know like they may understand mystic abilities but you shouldn't use them in a bad sense even like being a podcaster for example like we have the ability to change people's perspective of things um but i'm sure that there's people out there that understand the power behind that and they use it for with bad intentions you know to throw people into you know bad rabbit holes so to speak you know like i'm sure there's a lot of people like like perfect example with like cult leaders and stuff um they find an opportunity because they're very intelligent people and they manipulate it so that's why i feel like these people have such a bad that's what i'm looking for like they, they get tortured in the way that they do is because they are really smart and because they are smart they're aware of the, their actions so they're getting punished accordingly you know like don't don't be a smart person and, and lose the ability and fuck with other people that aren't as smart as you because it's just as bad as if you were sinning this whole time going through everything like you have the opportunity to do good don't not do it there's another reason you, I feel it like makes perfect sense this. yeah it's uh, all about the influence and the intention you have behind your message so like you know let's say our our podcast would reach like millions of, of people it's our duty to leave behind an inspirational or positive message and i, I think it would be considered you could say like sinful to spread uh, like fear porn, like making people feel doom and gloom and propaganda. Yeah, exactly. It's like, uh, if you're going to have a platform, if like a, a celebrity has the ability to influence millions of people, then it's their duty. It's their, uh, you know, they're responsible for sending a positive message and not abusing that, that power that could potentially harm people through their sort of like magic. Uh, it's like a, they have a magical ability to cast a spell on the masses of people uh, through their fame or their influence. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's don't, don't abuse your power. Like I know in the Bible a lot that obviously they don't want anybody to be idolized, but um, the best way I guess you could word it is if you're a person that people look up to, don't take advantage of the people that look up to you because that's one of the ultimate sins that you can do is to take advantage of a, somebody that's weaker than you. I don't want to say they're going to be weak forever, but they may be weaker at that specific time. But if you don't do what you can with the abilities you have, that person's never going to become a stronger minded person. So 
you become manipulative in the sense that like you know that and you're taking advantage of that person's weakness just like i was saying with the cult leaders like they look for people that are sad and need friends and they take advantage and exploit that weakness and uh i feel like this is also what that saying is to not exploit people's weaknesses for your gain also excellent well said so let's talk about thieves stealing is uh a crime as ancient as society itself you know once people have ownership over something they became they become vulnerable to those who would take that away from them so there's a special section of hell for thieves and virgil is describing a couple things about them it's the basically uh thieves are people who have given up on their dreams like if someone is willing to steal it's because and Again, let me clarify this. If you're starving and you need to steal food to survive, that's different. That's a different, that's not really being a thief. That's more of, um, you know, it's like survival at its finest. It's survival at its finest. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's just necessary for survival. But I'm, I'm talking about a thief who doesn't need to steal what they're stealing. So it's someone who has given up on their dreams and they are, allowing life to drift past them. It's like they could be taking action to make their existence better. Instead, they're tearing someone else down or they're taking from someone else. They couldn't call upon their own personal strength. They're instead exploiting the strengths or the materials of someone else for um, their own purposes. What I want to look at here is the fact that thieves are very related to reptilians, which again, given the topics that we're into, the uh, whole idea of snakes and reptiles uh, fitting into this circle, I I find very fascinating. So a thief is uh, stuck in a pit of snakes. And I don't know if you've ever seen the show Vikings, like when Ragnar Lothbrok is put to death, they drop him into this pit of snakes. He's not necessarily a thief. I mean, some might say that like, the English saw him as uh, someone like a Viking stealing their land and etc. But what I'm getting at here is that thievery, according to Dante, is considered reptilian because it's secretive. It's something that is false in and of itself. It's a false way to live. It's a false way to go about reality. So a snake being a deceiver, someone who is tricking people, I feel like it lines up really well with this idea of thieves. Now, There's one last thing I want to get to, and I want to ask you a question about this, but the fact that these uh, these thieves who are stuck in this pit of snakes are then later turned into snakes themselves. So it's like first they're being uh, attacked and consumed by these reptiles, and then they become one of them um, as a result. And so it's an interesting way to look at a thief Um, in other cultures a thief would lose their hand, like their, their hand would get chopped off or they would be branded uh, so that everyone knows what they are guilty of. Uh, but here, if a thief is transformed into a reptile, it's kind of the same thing. Like their human form is being manipulated. And now on the external, everyone can see who they are and what they are. Um, so what did you think about this? this? This thief section is very interesting. What did you think? Um, I feel like there's a lot of mixed stuff I wanted to mention, first of all. Previous to Christianity, um, snakes, of course, were viewed as the wise ones. So I kind of feel like this is kind of like it's from Dante's perspective, who was raised into a Christian upbringing. But I feel like it's kind of a diluted concept that snakes are always supposed to be like the knowledge bringers or the wise ones, so to speak. So it's kind of kind of a mixed mixed feeling on that one where it's I guess the thieves 
the snake pit makes sense for the thieves if you're looking at it from like the Christian perspective that thieves are the ones that shed their skin, blend in, that kind of a thing. So it's kind of fitting for a thief. But if you're looking at it from another perspective, you could see it as I word it like a like a plagiarism type thing almost that if snakes are the wise ones and you you could theoretically be a thief of ideas and hijack people's ideas, which there's a lot of philosophers, of course, that have taken very great philosophy and use it in a manipulative way. Um, So I'm almost curious if he's trying since he was obviously knew about the pagan ways. I wonder if he kind of had like a double meaning to it where it's pretty much like if you want to steal the wise one's ways and become a false idol, you're going to be perceived as that false idol for all eternity. You know what I'm saying? Like if you want to be wise, like the snakes, like the pagans view, then you're going to, you're going to essentially be a, be a snake forever. So it kind of mixes the pagan view and the Christian view. I feel all in the one aspect of it. Yeah. It's interesting to think about the snake symbolism. Like I know like, yeah, say like Gnosticism, uh, the snake is viewed in a more positive light as a bringer of wisdom as divine intelligence of sorts. But it's also interesting that snakes are usually associated with uh, venom as well. So it's like, in a sense, you know, someone being turned into a reptile, there's transformation of first being attacked by snakes and then becoming one yourself. It's like, I think most people are terrified of snakes and they wouldn't want to be perceived as being a snake right that's not like a a a very nice place to be in it's not gonna win you friends uh it's gonna kind of isolate you and i think that's kind of how i've been seeing this reptilian figure is that they're cold and without without empathy and compassion like someone who's willing to steal and manipulate someone else and you know extract from them and take from them again denying that innate compassion that humans have as children but then they lose when they get older so that's uh that's kind of how i saw it is there uh anything else on the thieves that you would like to get into before we go forward oh yeah you, you can keep going forward into it i was just going to say my kind of view on like the reptilian concept too that i wanted to mention was uh so in the garden of eden there was like of course like the forbidden fruit of knowledge and stuff like that so i've always had this wonder and misconception that maybe like the angels were quote the Anunnaki and the reptilians were these other other race that was trying to give mankind knowledge to know what was happening with the Anunnaki um so then coming from that Christian perspective we always started to view these reptilians and all this kind of stuff as the bad guys right when initially they could have been the people that were honestly trying to help our existence and make us understand this plane that we're on but uh, as it's progressed through things, you know how quickly, if you start viewing somebody as an enemy, even if they're trying to help you, how they change their flow of things. So I've almost wondered if it started off with the reptilians being on our side, so to speak, against the Anunnaki, and then they got to a point where we decided so far with the Anunnaki side, the angel side, you know, that um, they're just kind of like, all right, you want me to play the fucking villain? I'm going to play the villain. You want to play the game? I'll play the game. You guys don't want to become aware of this knowledge. We're going to manipulate every one of you just to prove a fucking point. So I've always had this like weird mixed feeling as far as like reptilians go that it's like, I don't know if you watch like anime and stuff like that, but there's always a lot of these concepts of like two races that wanted to be one with, e- with each other. And one side tricks the other side and there's a bunch of death within that side so it progresses into this thing where you both start off on the same side but you have this residual 
hate towards each other and it progresses into something else after generation and generation and generation where like a bunch of these shows you know like they don't necessarily want to be the ones killing the other race but they're doing it because they have this whole personal attachment to it that these people killed my ancestors these people did this and it could have progressed progressed into that where now we are with the reptilians where they're controlling everything that we do as a matter of like you guys didn't want to be aware of what's going on you guys didn't want to take our advice. Fine. We're going to hop on the other side and control you guys just like the Anunnaki did since you guys are dumb enough to to fall for that shit. Like, we're, we're done trying to help you. <laughs> yeah, man. Well said. Well said. It's uh, what you've just spoken about with the, the Anunnaki and this reptilian connection is interesting. Uh, you know, just to finish this uh, point, it's interesting that when, when Dante tells this, this story, it's almost um, encouraging for me personally and for anyone else reading this book or listening to this show that um, we're all capable of shedding our skin in that, in that sense. And uh, you know, leaving behind this um, this cold reptilian part of our personality and our psyche that is willing to harm others or to steal from them. It's capable of shedding that Um, you'll never fully get rid of it. It's, you know, like they say, we have a reptilian part of our, brain we can't get rid of it we're part mammal part reptilian and you know who else who else knows who it's kind of like rebirth too so i don't know why it's necessarily perceived as like a bad concept i feel like a lot of it was just diluted through christianity and the powers (laughs) that be you know um not that again like i'm saying christianity is a bad thing by any means but it just takes one person in power to manipulate everything and uh like if you look at it from the most literal sense like a snake would be the wise one according to pagans and they have the ability to shed their skin and be rebirthed. So it's mm-hmm. like, why, why is that perceived necessarily as a bad thing? You should see it as a good thing that they're able to shed their outer layer of the past and be reborn into, into this new thing and have like a, you know, be a different exactly. person like it's symbolic of that. And we just started perceiving it as a bad thing, you know? Yeah. Whether we're, uh, you know, from a Christian background or, you know, thinking in terms of the Christian framework, the idea of redemption and rehabilitation or being cleansed is universal. It doesn't have to be in a religious context, you know, just like a snake can shed its skin and grow a new outer layer. It's just like anyone can be saved, if you will. It's not like you have to be stuck in this lifestyle or to be stuck in these limiting choices that anyone can progress from that point forward. And Shane, there's um, there's a very common theme throughout this last section where, uh, so we started talking about thieves and now we're going to talk about treachery and treachery is coming up in a couple different forms. Uh, the one that I want to start with is in this circle, this eighth circle, there's the treachery to guest or host. So these are people who are being hospitable. They're opening up their their home and they're kind enough to support someone else, especially if it's like a stranger, like taking in a stranger, helping them out and offering them that kindness. And the reason why this is such a powerful concept to consider down in this lower, lower realm of hell is that it's there. I can't think of any higher betrayal than that is when someone shows you that kindness uh it's our duty to re to repay that kindness and to um reciprocate so the the fact that this comes up at the end of the story that there's a treachery to people who are um 
being given this sacred right of hospitality is uh it's such a powerful concept to think about and curious when you thought about these lower levels that there's treachery to kin to country to guests or to hosts and then finally there's treachery to masters um so giving you a free range to talk about this last area of treachery what did you think about this lower realm and kind of where dante begins to complete this journey through the inferno what did you think about all that um, I mean, I feel like it's it's a pretty pretty substantial wrap up. It's kind of like a concept that we've been building to this whole entire time about again using the abilities that you have to help and progress others. Um, that that's honestly what it is at the base point is that you know if somebody needs shelter, somebody needs help, like help them. That's that's, that's the best way to describe it. And can be more literal in that sense as far as what he was trying to get to. Yeah, it almost seems like Dante was betrayed by his community, his his city, the society that he was living in did not show him this sense of hospitality. They kicked him out. They, they exiled him. So it kind of makes sense that in these lower, lower levels, that this is what Dante thinks about the fact that people didn't show him acceptance or hospitality that, um, you know, I think innately everyone deserves a place to live and um, to have that liberty to choose how to live their own life. And it's almost like Dante was denied that and he was forced to go on his own and wander in this forest of error what do you think it goes back to that don't silence others kind of concept where that was his biggest frustration was getting exiled from his city so he wanted to make sure that he touched on that topic uh and he wanted to make sure that the people that did it to him i feel would be the most scared by this part that you know you can't kick somebody out of their home (laughs) yeah well said well said uh you know for anyone who's lost their home to war or to other like struggles, it's uh, it's not something that's easily replaced, you know, like once Dante is exiled, like that's basically it. Like he's got to figure out something new and he's never going to be able to get that same paradise back again. He's going to have to go find a new way to live a, a different way to reach paradise. And now when we reach the lowest of the lowest level, the ninth realm, the depths of, of hell, we're in this icy area. You know, you would imagine hell as being full of fire, but this lowest level is full of ice and it's very cold. And we have uh, Lucifer or Satan himself um, presiding over this uh, frozen lake. But we see a couple interesting people here. And uh, I would like to bring up um, Judas because he's one who... Uh, being in this lower realm of, of hell, he is considered to be that person who betrayed Christ. He was the one who facilitated this, this whole disaster of the crucifixion and all of this. Um, what do you think about Dante's choice of putting Judas down here with, uh, you know, evil himself, Satan or Lucifer? Uh, what did you think about this uh, choice and how Dante chose to end this story with these particular characters? I feel like he's trying to show the coldness of their heart, and that's that explains like the the ice ice lake. Um, he's trying to say that if you've reached this level, in that there's no fire within you, like of the fact that if the fire burns too high with the passion, then it's a bad-hearted person. He's trying to reference that directly, but like I mean, going on to another side view of all of it too. Um, as far as like the the like Lucifer Satan kind of concept goes. I've always had kind of like a mixed feeling of it where it's like 
I feel like it's symbolic for him being in an ice area versus a fire area because there's a lot of mixed views as far as he goes where, um, well, one, there's not really any, like, solid reference to information that you do have. It's, like, uh, realistically, like, I don't know, is, is, is Lucifer, would he be that bad of a that wrote the Bible that you see him in this perspective? But realistically, like, he's the one that tortures the people that deserve it. So like, why, why is he always perceived as the full on bad guy? Um, but again, going back into the law of duality, I'm a firm believer that there's not necessarily solid, good or bad. There's both within one side where he feels the emotions that he feels because he was casted out. And that's why he's angry. And that's why he wants to, uh, you know, like manipulate people. But at the same time though, like he had a lover. If you look into, um, like religion, like there's a lot more damage as far as Christianity done by God than Lucifer as far as like hurting and taking out massive amounts of people. So it's like, oh, it's kind of a mixed feeling. And I feel like he purposely puts him in a place that's cold so that people kind of see that like there could be another side to the whole perception of like Lucifer or the devil, you know? Yeah, man. Well said. I really like thinking about this icy realm in that, that same way, you know, it's showing, um, that, you know, this is what it would kind of look like in a hermetic sense, like that hermetic principle of as within, so without, or as, as above, so below. It's like uh, these symbols and the, the imagery that's used in this, in this epic poem is so cool because it's letting us see without having actually to go through hell ourselves. It's to like, let us see what life would, would look like if we allowed this kind of treachery or these kind of issues to, um, possess us so like being stuck in ice great example of that uh being cut off from the warmth of human compassion uh definitely is a great way to describe um this type of treachery and i'm totally with you on this like yeah i think uh when it comes to someone like lucifer i guess they're typically like a misunderstood figure yes they're rebellious and <laughs> lucifer was like a rule breaker but i think we typically miss the full story and the full um you know, like being able to, because Dante has to find a way to empathize with each of these uh, souls, each of these characters that he en- encounters. So like even at the lowest depths, it's important to consider like, why would Lucifer be there? And what would be, if anything, uh, a redeeming quality that, you know, can someone like Lucifer be saved? Could Could they gain redemption as well? Or are they stuck in that icy realm forever? What would you say? It's almost like he's saying that he's like the ultimate person that fell victim to his emotions. You know what I mean? Like, uh, like he's passed all of these far things and that he's just so ingrained in his way that it's just like, it's not necessarily that anybody's good or bad, like I was saying, but if you let your emotions control you, you can be almost perceived as the devil. So it's symbolic in that sense too, that, and you look into the story of it and he didn't start off with bad intentions, but like I said, if people want to make you the enemy, one day you just become the enemy and you just become the title that they give you. So I feel like he's also trying to display that Lucifer is different from the rest of hell. And that's why it's cold. But there's a reason for it, you know, and he's trying to just, again, try to make people see things from another person's perspective. Well said, Shane. Well said. So what I when we're. uh coming to the end of Dante's Inferno, you know, it's just, just part one of a three-part epic, but it's so cool, and the the timing of all this works out really nicely, because 
Dante is going through this journey during the Easter season, and we have Easter coming up next week. And when Dante finally escapes hell, he gets past that last obstacle, and he uh, emerges and sees a starry sky. He's seeing light again. He's looking up at the heavens that he's progressing towards. So what do you think about the, the fact the that, yeah, the light at the end of the tunnel, he's like seeing, um, uh, you know, the, why he set out in the first place was to return to that light. So what do you think about the Easter symbolism, this whole idea of resurrection and the fact that Dante goes through this process um, parallel to the story of Jesus going through this same transfiguration, if you will. Um, I mean, honestly, I don't think you could say it better. I believe that the reason why he wrote it as he did is because more than likely, um, I guess he was writing from his real life. So I feel like that was about the time that he got done with necessarily maybe that part of the story. Um, Also, if you're trying to talk about a time of being reborn and rebirth, there's not a better time than spring because everything is dead, ice cold, just like in the last part of the of the book. And because of everything being dead and ice cold, it gives opportunity for rebirth. And I believe it's also symbolic of, of that fact that spring is the time of rebirth altogether, and especially Easter with being, you know, with, with, with the Christ, Christian side of it with rebirth also. But from the nature side and from, from a Christian side, it's, it's the time of rebirth. Yeah, man. Couldn't agree more. And I, I personally don't accept the fact that New Year's is on January 1st. I think you know, this, this time, this uh, springtime is the true New Year's and, you know, everything's coming back to life. And this seems like uh, a very cool uh, allegory showing Dante's journey, um, sort of like dying and coming back again, like his old self, where he was in the beginning has been burned away. And now he's uh, re-emerging from this experience, like we said earlier, older, wiser, more experienced and ready to renounce these um, errors or sins that he's carried with him. That's a really cool transformation. Um, Any other closing thoughts about Dante's Inferno and what we've been discussing today? Just that there's a lot of deeper things that people realize. And even if he didn't intend to write it that way, like just no matter what the story is, everybody just needs to kind of look at the, between the lines, you know, like there's a whole story written within a story that you don't even see and again, even though it may not be intended that way, like art can take on a whole other perspective of things. So again, just you can use this this awesome book for character building. Uh, you can use it to see your issues within your society. Like it, it has so many practical uses. Um, just all around, just a great book. And I, I want to recommend people if they haven't read it, like I want to hear what other people's perspectives are on it too because again with the whole thing i said earlier different eyes for a different prize (laughs) different eyes for different prize i'm gonna really take that to heart as i move forward and uh again shane i'm excited that we were able to have this conversation about such a universally applicable book so like you know we're not here to sell anything but if we can uh persuade people to look into this story and see what they come up with um you know we could talk about this forever it's we've barely scratched the surface there's so much more that we can get into but for the purposes of of this show um we're gonna have to cut it here but uh to 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 wrap everything up into a nice bow um so i already asked you that first question in the beginning about when did you start to speak your truth and now i want to uh give you a little bit of closure so the last question for my guests is this Uh, Because we're talking about Dante's journey and, you know, building from that past self and creating 
or rebirthing um, an older, wiser, more experienced part of ourselves. Uh, I want to ask you this, Shane. If you could think about your past self, whether that was you last week, last month, or last decade, uh, looking back at what you've been through, what message would you give your younger self? Uh, What kind of guidance would you give to your past self? There's always a light at the end of the tunnel. You got to keep pushing on through it and that everything happens for a reason. Cause there's, that's honestly the key component I feel that helped that helps me get, get past things is that no matter how hard the situation is, it was intended to happen. Be it that it's fact or not. It's kind of like religion where everybody has their thing that helps them deal with the reality that we exist in. And as far as it is for me, um, my belief is that, like I said, that the meaning of life is experience, even if it's good or bad, having experienced that, that's one thing that isn't material that nobody can take away from you, you living through that. So keep that in mind that anytime you have hard times, um, the people who have gone through the hardest, darkest times uh, end up becoming the most mentally strong people. Like most of these comedians, most of these podcasters, anything like that, we're all people that were black sheep as children as kids mm-hmm. we went through a very hard time where we couldn't talk to anybody we've been there we've been in that dark area mm-hmm. and again going back into the book too um like it's a matter of finding a way to express yourself and that's mm-hmm. why you can't destroy art is because it's it's the saving grace of people which is also again experience it's just art is an experience it ex- shows expression within it be it podcasting be it drawing be it uh whatever just find what you're uh find your way to express yourself and just, just run with it. Cause you need it, you know, and like keep your head up and know that these dark times are going to end up making you stronger later on and not just to take the easy, easy way out, you know, like work through it. That's, that's the, that's the premise I want to leave everybody with here. What a great message to, to end with, you know, this too shall pass. And of course, find what sparks your internal fire, find that, that personal spark for, for you and pursue it and don't let anyone stop you. And Shane, it's okay I... to try a lot of different things. Cause I mean, I'm, I'm about to turn 28. It took me that long to find podcasting. I've always been a talker. Um, started talking to my dad seven, I was nine months old fluently. So I feel like inside, I always kind of knew that my passion and my art was, was speech. Um, but again, like if, if it's taking you a long time to find it, like, don't be discouraged by that. Some people don't find their medium and the thing that they need until they're in their fifties. And if that's the case, there's a reason for that because you can come at it on a higher level. Like if I was doing this shit 10 years ago, like I wouldn't be as mentally strong willed, I guess you could say as I am now to push these messages on. And again, if I didn't go through my dark times, I wouldn't be sitting here now and have the ability to talk to people about these things. And again, find my, my means of expression, just everything falls into place at the right time for a reason. So don't be discouraged if this isn't your current time right now, because you know, your, your time could be a different time. Just got to keep your head up. I love it. It's a wonderful motivational message. And I got to, I got to thank you, Shane, for coming on here, for opening up to us and to helping to inspire other people to follow that, that path that brings them to that place of lightness and inspiration and creativity. So with that being said, would you please share with us, where can we find you? How can we connect with you? And tell us a bit about some of the uh, projects that you've got planned in the near future here so uh if anybody wants to contact me in any way shape or form uh you want to have a conversation uh you know you want to say you enjoy my podcast uh you have stories that you think you'd like to discuss on my podcast i don't care if you're just some normal 
ass person. If you got a, something that you would enjoy talking about and you feel like we'd have a nice back and forth, I'm not, you know, somebody that's going to push anybody away. Like I'm here, man. Um, so if you want to do that, you can email me. Uh, the email is inquiries of our reality podcast at outlook.com. Um, if you want to donate to me to, uh, eventually I'm hoping I can do this full time. Cause honestly, this is my passion. Um, not even, and I'm not trying to become rich off of it. If I have just enough to, to get by with my family, like this is, this is what I want to do. And as far as I'm concerned, it's not about money in life. It's about being happy. I'd rather have eight hours a day of me being happy than eight hours a day of me making a shit ton of money, but being miserable. Cause mm-hmm. it's all about quality rather than quantity as far as I'm concerned. So mm-hmm. If you want to do that, um, it's going to be uh, inquiries of our reality podcast on Patreon. Uh, if you want to look me up on Instagram, uh, I'm always posting new updates on the show on there. Um, it's going to be inquiries of our reality. Uh, if you want to look me up on Facebook, it's inquiries of our reality podcast. Um, if you want to hear my old podcast, anything like that, um, you, I'm, I'm pretty much available across all streaming platforms. Um, just look up inquiries of our reality. You'll see the cool little logo that i have in the background and for the audio listeners it's uh two brains colliding with a back background black background with a lot of different ideas coming off of them just uh i guess look for look for that symbol um and as far as stuff that i got coming out soon um i just recently did a podcast with hollow sky talking about egress industries so if anybody's interested in that that one's gonna be dropping soon um i got some some good interviews coming up um i'm gonna be popping in with legit bat on this this coming sunday so i'm sure by the time this comes out um people can either look for that or it will already be out um yeah just expect to hear a lot more from me from the future i'm hoping that uh everybody starts wanting to contact me because again i'm not gonna discredit anybody for anything like you can just be some normal joe that has paranormal experiences and you know i'd love to sit down and have a conversation with you on the show and don't be worried about talking as far as uh you know being on a podcast because you know People like us know the right questions to get people that aren't comfortable in these situations to be able to talk. So don't be discouraged. All you got to do is just email me. I'm just a normal dude, you know? (laughs) Awesome, man. I got to thank you. You're a really awesome guy. And it's been cool chatting with you. We've been able to send these messages of optimism and hope and inspiration. And I hope that anyone listening feels the same way. So I'm definitely looking forward to speaking to you again. I would love to come on your show sometime. We can get into some other topics, but uh, overall, this was awesome, man. And I want to thank you. And I hope you enjoy the rest of this beautiful day today. Oh yeah. You too, man. And uh, after the show, feel free to message me. Maybe we can plan something out for next week and we can do something on uh, like philosophy. Cause I feel like you and I bounce pretty good back and forth as far as philosophy goes, or like I was saying, we could tear apart the Epic of Gilgamesh or something on my, on my podcast. I'd love to have you on. All the above sound wonderful, man. We got an excellent flow, an excellent dynamic. So I'm thankful that we were connected. And uh, once again, guys, inquiries of our reality podcast, the Shane Jones, please check it out. He's an awesome guy. Glad we got to speak today. And cheers, brother. Nice to meet you. You too, man. Have a good one. Thanks for having me on. Can't wait to do more in the future. Cheers to that. And there you have it, folks. Thank you so much for sticking with us on this outro to our episode with Shane Jones of the Inquiries of Our Reality podcast. Once again, at Inquiries of Our Reality on Instagram, please connect with him. Shane's an awesome dude, as you can hear from our podcast together. We are really excited to do many more. And this was a pretty interesting one. So right before we decided to schedule, my Wi-Fi got all messed up. We've had some windy, stormy days 
So I decided to drive to Dunkin' Donuts down the street because they have a pretty solid Wi-Fi connection, but it was a little loud in there and I haven't really figured out the noise cancellation. But anyways, that's my only concern, but overall this was a cool episode. I'm so happy that Shane prepared well. He had a really cool perspective. He had a bunch of ideas that I never considered myself, so it's always cool to uncover new layers of Dante's Inferno and and I'm absolutely certain that Shane and I will get together once again to do many more podcasts in the future. So whichever topic we decide to go into next, I know it's going to be a lot of fun. He's got a really great set of ideas. He's got a really cool story as well. And I'm looking forward to speaking with him again. So please, guys, if you haven't already, go and check out his podcast, Inquiries of Our Reality. Now, Shane is just like me. He's a new podcaster. So we have to support each other. We're just starting out. We have a lot to learn. So any feedback is much appreciated. So once again, between local listens and inquiries of our reality, I'm so happy to connect with other new podcasters who are in the same boat as I am. And that is pretty much going to cover it for today, folks. Uh, Please stay tuned for much more. And let me leave you with this final thought. Wherever you are, be here, be now, and be you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.